Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might have the podcast I wish tonight. Now, I was, I was trying to figure out if there was any way to do, I mean, I can do it. It's, it's going to be what I just said, but to make a more elegant version of podcastio, podcastio, holy smokio. The problem is it doesn't rhyme. But the best line in the movie is Pinocchio, Pinocchio, holy smoke, yo. Is that the, that might be the default best line? I just thought you put more into that than the movie itself. So I liked it. You, you know, you had a little, you had a little oomph in that. I think I put a little verb in it. A little oomph. This is the question. If you're trying to impersonate parts of this movie, you're like, I mean, should I just, should I do it better? <laughs> you did it louder. Tom Hanks is yes. extremely quiet. Yes. Um, so just by that verb, there was more energy, just pure volume wise. I, I was truly trying to do the math on this. I know this is a thing we like joke about. Five days of filming maximum, right? For Hanks in this film. That's a good question. What is it? Is that why Hanks keeps doing these things? Like it's just, it's like how he was like the Polar Express was like black box theater. It was a couple weeks. It was great. We but explored also, the like, space. He played like eight characters. He's on screen the entire fucking time. But in like, this one, he did have to put on some makeup. He does. So that's annoying. He does. Yeah. Like his section is more live action than anything else. But this movie, I think, is like 95% stagecraft, you know, like VR void, uh, Unreal Engine shit. And he's not in that much of it. He's not. It's five, it's five days max. Like, this might be one of those you cases where... maximum? I think two weeks. I'm going to say two weeks. I, I think did a few it, takes. Prep rehearsals, whatever. But I do, I do feel like this could have been five days, $10 million. A lot of it, maybe a full day was sleeping. Yes. So maybe that was caked into the contract. As long as I'm not part of Blue Fairy, that should line up, right? That's like the original. Just let me sleep. Maybe that's what they should have done is Hank should have played every character Polar Express style. Why not? You then then it's then I'm doing my bit. I'm here's Robert Zemeckis, I'm doing my bit. Right. That's something. Not nothing. If Hanks played in this movie Pinocchio, Geppetto, Jiminy Cricket, Stromboli, Blue Fairy, the Coachman. Blue Fairy's the one I'll say maybe he shouldn't play Lampwick and uh, fucking Honest John and Gideon. Immediately this movie probably becomes better, right? Or at least interesting. Would he play Monstro? Yes, of course. Roar, gurgle, gurgle, kachoo. I want to hear Hank's take on all that. Uh, he, he could play the sexy fish. Yep, yep, definitely. Cleo the goldfish. Yes. Uh, the cat, he could be the cat. Just have to act like a cat. Just be a, be a cat with no discernible qualities. A little, a cute little cat. Um, did anyone, like, keep track? How many minutes of screen time does he have? Like Hanks? 20 minutes? Yeah. Maximum, right? I mean, this is one of those things. Disney Plus has, obviously, Disney movies have long credits. And then Disney Plus always has, like, the additional seven bonus minutes of just giving you the credits for all the translations, the dubbings in every country. Oh, you have no idea. When I was looking at how much was left. Yes. And then I then it got to directed by Robert Zemeckis. And I remembered, that's right, the endless Disney Thank yes. you, Endless Disney foreign translation. Thank you for jumping in and saving me from there being like 35 more minutes right. of Pinocchio. They, they make it look like it's an hour 50, and it, it the end credit hits at 134. The Zemeckis director credit. 
is Mercy one hour, 34 minutes. <laughs> so I, I, if the movie is only in actuality 94 minutes long, 20 minutes of Hanks even feels high. It's, it's 10 at the top and maybe five at the back, right? Is that about it? Yeah, here's another thing, just to like front load this in terms of the weird nightmarish qualities of this movie. I only clocked at the end. I don't know if it also was the case in the earlier scenes. The final scene at the beach between Pinocchio and Geppetto, every time they do an over-the-shoulder shot on Pinocchio from behind Geppetto, Geppetto is clearly 100% CGI. It speaks to (laughs) the level of investment that Robert Zemeckis has on spending time on a set that I swear to I was like, why is this shot weird? Which, when you're an hour and 34 minutes into the Zemeckis Pinocchio, for a shot to jump out is weird, is saying something. (laughs) And then I noticed, like, his hair looks odd. There are no pores on the side of his face. And that, like, one-eighth sliver of his profile over the shoulder is like, oh, they, like, dusted off an old Polar Express model. (laughs) right they couldn't be bothered to shoot over the shoulders with the real people in this film (laughs) i was thinking about how it's a i'm sure it landed i'm sure they talked about it but for zemeckis and hanks this was a chance to make a lost at sea in a little makeshift raft but a, a thousand times easier than the last time they did this together one of the things that is maddening about this film is that for as much as we felt no excitement when it was announced that this film was happening, and I believe this film was announced while we were in the middle of doing our Zemeckis miniseries. Uh, That sounds right. We were already deep in the Bobby Z days. Yeah, because this this was, I feel like this actually came together pretty quickly. Yeah, it was announced like January 2021. Okay. And we were definitely, or, or were we, I don't fucking remember if we were doing Zemeckis. We... We were, weren't we? No, it was not announced January 2021 because January 2021 is when they announced that it was going to Disney+. Plus. That was the night that we recorded our Witches episode is the night that they announced this is bypassing theaters. I remember that distinctly. Yeah, it looks like, well, January 2021, they announced, I guess, the whole cast. But yeah, it was sometime right. in 2020. Look, I don't know. Yeah, August 2020. There you go. Hanks right. rejoined the project right. with so Zemeckis. We yes. were doing Zemeckis. The arc of us doing Zemeckis was essentially we start doing the miniseries and we know this is his next movie, which does not inspire confidence. And then when we end the miniseries on arguably what was his worst film up until that point in time. Yes. We're buttressing it with like, oh, and by the way, his next thing isn't even going to theaters. And now we see this thing, uh, you know, a year and change later, a year and a half later. and you find these moments in the film where you're like, I almost see how Zemeckis could have connected to the material on this. Here are things that are obsessions of his and his filmography, things he has previously showed interest or skill with. Well, sure. Yes. I mean, wait, go tell, well, finish your thought, finish your thought. And all of it just feels dispassionate. Look, we're going to unpack this for the rest of the thing. This is, this is blank check with Griffin day. It's a podcast about filmographies. Yeah. You didn't say your name. I'm Griffin. I'm David. Directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes you just end up making a fucking Pinocchio remake for no reason. <laughs> what, what's the 
thematic Zemeckisy thing you're seeing in this. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just don't remember anything about this movie already. So <laughs> sure, sure. I'm I mean, I, to... I finished watching it an hour ago, and I barely remember anything that happens in this movie. <laughs> you watched it like two weeks ago. I watched it last. Yeah, time is a little fungible for me right now. But yeah, yeah. like I guess a couple weeks ago on a screener, and uh, you know, didn't like it. Thought it was yeah. bad. Um, I, I think this is what I'd say. I think the obvious thing is you could see Zemeckis connecting really hard to Geppetto as a yes, character. Yes, the craftsman. Mm. Yes. Right. And this notion of trying to take fantastical things and bring them to life, you know? The bespoke art into reality, especially when his arc has been going more and more digital, you know, trying so hard to pioneer these advancements in film technology and saying, like, this is what you like. This is what you want movies to look like. And, and he did make Marwin just a few years ago, which is also about little puppets. Yes. So that's, that's something. Right. And then to Scott's point, like, stuff like, you know, the maestro sequence, you're just like, there's a version of this where you're just like, yes, he can flex the muscles he used in Castaway in a different genre with a different toolbox, you know? It, it is. It's funny that it's it, thematically it's like Pinocchio is a real boy, but not quite right. Like there's a little yes. bit. I mean, depending on how you want to read what they're saying at the end. But basically it's uh, a realism to a point like something's off, which is that not all of the Zemeckis digital material is almost real, but not something is off. Right. If we're talking about. 21st century Zemeckis and this push and pull of like, he just wants to fucking stay with his computers. He, he, he is, doesn't want to use a camera anymore. Loath yep. to do these fucking grown up movies, even though, you know, it, it felt like he was teasing us for a while there that he'd finally put the computer down. I, I don't agree with you that he was teasing. I think he gave it a go. This is yeah. my read. I may be wrong. Sure. He gave us a, a solid decade of, of four interesting movies. I don't, you know, I don't like all of them. But yeah. interesting movies with movie stars and, you know, uh, on diverse topics and diverse genres. And Flight and Allied are both, like, very much grown-up movies. Yes. Like, they're, like, you know, R-rated, adult, you know, expensive, mm -hmm. but not special effects-driven movies. So Flight, The Walk, Allied, Marwin. And I think yes. after Marwin flops and none of those movies were... I mean, Flight was successful, I guess. But then, you know, yeah. increasing, you know, lesser success pretty much as it goes along. I think he's just like, I don't know. Forget it. I'll, I, I don't want to bother anymore. David, you're I, missing that is my the other read. point. A, no, no, no. I agree with you. But also, Marwin is half Zemeckis land. It's half mocap valley, you know? He got his toys back. And he's like, I'm not giving them up again. I have my, my little toys. That's fair. He, like, found material that allowed him to do both and then you watch the witches and you're like oh like 80 percent of this movie is cgi mice right it's, in like it's crazy endless mm -hmm. flying camera shots going through like gutters and shit he's like keeps on pushing back and back little bit little bit by bit um but this is a movie about a, a puppet who wants to be a real boy and today long overdue we got three good boys on the podcast but beyond that perhaps most thematically relevant for this episode, our three guests today include two Disney daddies and a wooden boy. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little, our little wooden, wooden boy. boy. A little, 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 a little, a little wooden boy. Uh, I, 
I also make horrific click clack sounds when I move about. <laughs> Your joints are remarkably similar to Pinocchio. They, they, unlike him, who's like a brand new endeavor, mine have seen better days. A, a day of walking with you, Jason, does sometimes feel like. Oh, oh, oh no! <laughs> Jason, <A> catastrophe! No. <laughs> and also, uh, uh, seagulls fly around and aid you in your journeys as you walk. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, uh, from Podcast the Ride, uh, Beyond Overdue, uh, the good boys themselves, Scott Gardner, Mike Carlson, Jason Sheridan. Oh, hello. Thank you so We're much, here. fellas. Thank you for having us. Oh, Thank you so for exciting. being here. Love being, like, getting to, like, swim in the wraparounds of Blank Check and be present for the, uh, the, the business of Blank Check. The business. Uh, uh, this, I, I, I love that, Griffin, I've enjoyed rearranging, like, every possible arrangement of things that you do and things that we do. I'd love to, to make them. Yes. Every, every combo. Yes. Let's do them all. And I'm so thrilled about this one. I'm very excited here to uh, talk about this and sort of, like, review and give my thoughts on this piece of audio-visual entertainment. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm here for today, to talk about this. Not as a film, sure. but as a piece of Martin Scorsese coin term audiovisual entertainment. I you know I was going to say it's almost hard to argue that the term doesn't apply here but entertainment feels like a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> it is definitely an audiovisual product. Right. Um sure. Griffin uh David if if I could mm-hmm. just ask I I've, I've been thinking about this. Yes. If if you could just remind me in terms of blank check canon um what is uh the what do you think the worst piece of audiovisual entertainment you have that we've watched on this show? Yeah, mm. we because I feel like we occasionally discuss this, Griff. I like, feel like every six months we'll the bottom again and just try whatever. to check in. Yeah, yeah. Like what are what what comes to mind right away? This is in the lower rung, but I have to say, David, Ooh, this you, is really low for me. You saw this two weeks ago. You texted yeah. us. You just said Pinocchio is pitiful. Pitiful. And then you updated your Zemeckis ranking on Letterboxd with this dead last. I have to say, I absolutely prefer this to Christmas Carol. Or I should say rather, Interesting. I like Christmas Carol less. And I think it's almost a coin toss for me as to between this and Witches. But it doesn't feel like a slam dunk worse Zemeckis movie for me. It's in the unholy mm. like bottom rung but i'll say this christmas carol yeah. I'm, I'm not i'm not here to defend a christmas yeah. carol but that at least it's it's almost that, like at least i, I want to hear you at it, least at least, it, it's at least it, yeah at least it provoked a reaction in me you know at least <laughs> at least sure. i looked at it you know in disgust pinocchio i was just sort of looking through the screen i felt like yeah. it wasn't even that i was sliding off the screen i just was looking almost like there was nothing in front of me i i did feel largely numb watching this i think the witches like the first 20 or 30 <laughs> minutes that are octavia spencer and the kid before they go to the hotel yeah the witches at least had actors in it has it. actors I, in it yeah the mouth like it wasn't I like, good the mouse stuff in witches is worse than this movie but witches has moments and performances briefly that at least inspire something Christmas Carol just does nothing for me. But what are some other? What, what are some others? Uh, when we when we talk about the bottom, like bottom true line. stinkers, you know, yeah. like oh my god, why did we have to watch this? Like, um, I mean, the like word feel- Alice in Wonderland. This Alice, this is Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> wow, 
That's a great. That's a great. Alice one. is more go. unpleasant than this, especially if we're talking live action Disney remakes. We didn't do it as part of a mini series. We did it as a one off. But I prefer this to the Lion King. Yes, me too. It's shorter. It's did, shorter. did Alice in Wonderland cause all of this? I don't yes. remember yes. what yes. began. Yes. The, oh, yes. Well, you got to yes. really despise it for that because wh- whichever you hate the most or like or tolerate the most, like the genre in general, yikes! It's just it's just a orgy of creative bankruptcy. This entire slate of Disney live actions. It's also just wild that you go from like. You know, the pitch on Alice in Wonderland is what if Tim Burton did Alice in Wonderland, right? It wasn't even really presented as much as it's a remake of the classic Disney film. It was like Tim Burton's twisted reimagining of Alice in Wonderland. Then you go from there to Maleficent, where it's like a revisionist story version of a story you know. We're telling the story differently from a different perspective, but we're sticking more to the visual iconography of the Disney film. And then it starts like trending more and more of like, okay, we're doing Jungle Book, but we're not fully committing to it being a musical, and we're adding an extra 40 minutes of plots. Then it's like Cinderella. Then Beauty and the Beast is the first one where I feel like they're like, we're just doing the Disney Do the movie. movie. Do the movie. Right. right. We're doing yeah, all yeah, yeah. the songs. We're doing all the numbers. It's all the story beats. We add in some unnecessary backstory in places. And it looks like shit. Obviously. Right, but then the designs are bad. And then they just keep right. on trending more and more to like, let's just make it look, sound, Follow every story point of the original movie to this point where you're just like, why did anyone bother getting out of bed at any day in any position, any part of the pipeline of this film? Because they're like conserve. These are like the equivalent. These movies are the, for a corporation or the equivalent of like your grandmother saying you should buy a savings bond. <laughs> it's like a safe investment for the company because it's so identifiable at this point. It's it's the weird thing of when Iger took over, he, you know, it, there was immediately Bob Iger, uh, you know, former mm. head of Disney, uh, a, a recurring figure on podcast, The Ride, uh, when he took over, like shut down a lot of the stuff that he felt was like Eisner era Disney run amok, like all the direct to video sequels and everything back and talked about needing to like make projects that were brand deposits. Do you guys remember this term that he would throw around? It's a disturbing that's deposits. Like a- yeah. It's a grim, like, if a doctor tells you that, you're not happy. Absolutely. You yeah. have brand deposits. <laughs> <laughs> They're lining your colon, these brand deposits. Um, no, he was like, the Disney name has been so sort of tarnished. We, we like, oversaturated the market. We didn't control quality. There are things we need to make that may not be profitable, but they restore a sheen of respectability and quality to Disney. So he would, mm. like, talk about certain movies being brand deposits. And to some degree, it feels like these movies now mostly exist to make people realize how much they like the original film. Like, I feel like people watch these when they go up on Disney Plus or go see them in theaters, never think about them again. And it just gives them a greater appreciation of the original thing, which they then sell more merchandise for. Can I say something depressing? Please. I mean, this is going to be a depressing episode. (laughs) Talking about this movie. I think it's also, I, I, and I, I don't want to paint with a broad brush about young children today, um, but I do think they, they like seeing this. They like this. It's, they like to see the new Pinocchio looking like this. And maybe they like the old one too, but then it's like, and did you know there's another Pinocchio and it looks, you know, it's all glossy CGI and they're like, I want to see that, I think. It's, it's this notion of, oh, the original film will be too slow for the children of today, despite our movies now being 40% longer. <laughs> I think it's just the look, though. I don't even mean the pacing. 
I just mean that kids like things looking like this. I was a dumb kid. I used to care about special effects. I don't know. Maybe that's a thing. Look, I I'm grasping the straws it. here. I think you're right that initially there was sort of that notion of like, let's try and reinvigorate the brand. And let's say in 2010, it was still a little sexy to bring in Tim Burton to make an Alice yeah. in Wonderland movie. Now it kind of feels like they're like, I don't know. We might as well do them all. We might right. as well fucking tick everyone off. Like when they announced the Black Cauldron, that's when it's official. They're like, okay, we're just going to do them all. But Black Cauldron's one of those things where if they were to do Black Cauldron tomorrow, you'd be like, wow, they found a way to somehow do a sort of fantasy novel adaptation on a large budget. Like it wouldn't even feel like doing a live action Black Cauldron remake. It would be like, oh, they're now just going to do a new version of these books. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I just always hear these stories about like all the sort of in-house producers at the live action side of Disney who have these development deals basically being like, you can kind of pick one project you can try to push through development that isn't based on one of the original animated classics. And otherwise, it's this game of like trying to grab dibs on three or four titles and hope that yours are the ones. So like, you know, someone like Bruckheimer used to have a production deal and was doing all different types of shit for them. And now they have producers and overhaul deals who are like, my slate is Bambi, Robin Hood, right. Sword in the Stone. It's that old, old adage. One for them and one for them. Right. <laughs> right. And, then, and now they want another one. And oh, wait, uh, it looks like I have to do another one for them. Right. And like the, the one for me is like, I'm really trying to remake the black hole. You know, it's like I'm right. trying to remake a lesser Disney project that doesn't have that name value. I want to ask. Scott, your son is now nearly three. Yeah, getting there. Yeah, yeah. About two and a half. Did he watch any of this movie with you? No, no. There, now, was that, did, did you shield it from him? Um, I don't, you know, it's, it's funny, um, David, what you said about, I mean, well, and I have a very little kid, but like. Yeah, I um, think, I'm thinking older than your son's age. My, my right. daughter, who's younger than your son, also would not give one shit about this movie. Yeah, yeah, this is, it's more in the realm of like why you'd watch the squeakquel or something. Like, sure. Uh, right. But, but, it, because this compared to. A movie that's, uh, I don't know, a, a Moana, or I'm trying to think what's on all the time, a Moana or Encanto, where it's like uh, colorful and mainly smooth. This is what's in my head. In all of the movies my son watches, the characters are smooth and soft, and they look pleasant when they smile, and they're sympathetic when they cry, as opposed to like jagged, it's in several of our Zoom backgrounds, this face that they got to on Jiminy Cricket. He's like, he's a monster. It's why, like, his he's face is so sharp and all these odd divot. I mean, he looks like a, uh, he looks like a, a hybrid of a dinosaur of some kind. Uh, he's not, I don't know why a two-year-old would ever want to see this as opposed to, like, uh, you know, Woody, <laughs> who is soft and smooth. Or even original Jiminy Cricket, who is a round, big-eyed, smiley little cartoon thing. Yes, that's cute. Who's yes. more colorful? Right. It's like a it's a brighter sheen of green instead of this like pale, sickly. Like, doesn't he look like a almost in hospice man? He, yeah, <laughs> he looks like he looks like this is. I want to say this is exactly this is the first thing I thought of when I saw Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> okay. Bible man. Oh, he has this, wow. Bible man. He has wow. this yes. weird, like, 
kind of cowl and it was so like jarring to me that Jimmy I'm sure maybe this is what a cricket actually looks like if you get down on its level but it looked so strange to me and unnerving weird religious superhero bible man right part of the problem of trying to make like a live action adaptation of Disney's Pinocchio is you look at a character like Jiminy Cricket and you're like he in no way resembles a cricket as you said he is just a cute round-faced green man and then this is like how much do we want him to look like a real cricket you get to these questions like, what is the difference between like Geppetto's cat and Gideon, a cat who wears clothes and walks upright? How realistic are both of them? The second you're doing fur texturing, things become less cute and stylized. And there's this basic principle of animation, especially Disney animation, which people will mock for being like overly cutesy and round and, you know, all that sort of shit. But like people talk about appeal in design, right? It's a big principle of animation coming up with an appealing design. And I feel like so often when we get these expensive, quote-unquote, live-action movies with CGI characters directed by live-action directors, appeal goes out the window. They just are like, what's an interesting design? And they don't think about, what will I want to watch? What will make a child happy? Within seconds of Jiminy Cricket appearing on screen, my girlfriend went, what is with his face? (laughs) What is going on? They're like trying to toe this line between like the actual physiology of a cricket and the design from the original movie. And it's an impossible circle to square. That having been said, thank God he sounds great. It's what (laughs) there's this Cracker Jack performance. (laughs) We can all agree across the board agreement. I only put together after watching it that like Joseph Gordon-Levitt does the same thing in the walk. Like this sort of like, Hey, uh-huh. I didn't see you there. Yes. Let me take you through the movie. You know, like that he's literally doing that as Jiminy Cricket now. He's just so like, you want a tail, do you? Well, I've got a few here in my coat pocket. Which makes it all the more demented that Zemeckis was, must have gone like, man, who did this well in a movie for me before? When everyone agrees that is the most nightmarish element of the walk. That's the part where almost everyone just turns off the movie and doesn't make it past second five. <laughs> Oh, bonjour. It is I, I. am on sea. I am on the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> they get to it even sooner here with the interruption of the Disney logo. Like they, they at least had to wait for, they, they in the walk, they got through the production company cards before doing something bizarre and straight to camera. But that was like, I was so thrown and, and borderline offended by seeing this Jiminy enter a, a, a logo that I watch all the time. And the, granted, the Disney Castle logo plays before lots of pieces of shit, but it also plays before everything my son likes, and he like imitates the train in it and, and the fireworks. So I have a lot of fun, and it's the castle of our beloved Magic Kingdom in Florida. There's a lot to like, I think, about and it, that and logo. It's, and it's fucking when you wish upon a star. Like, they're finally getting to the movie in the modern Disney era that gives them the song for the fanfare of their logo. Which I kind of forgot. I almost, when it happened, I still was like, wait, why? Why is he singing that? Oh, that's, oh yeah, it's when you wish upon. They somehow managed to make it not like, oh, well, perfect. It still felt jarring and obnoxious. one line of it. This is like the most famous song in the Disney catalog as crooned by Jiminy Cricket. And he doesn't do it in that way that for almost all of it is a imitation of that guy. It's the guy Cliff. Now, I don't remember the actor's name. Oh, yeah. Who did original Jiminy Cricket. But like the, one of the most iconic parts of the performance is that I won't be able to do it, but let me try it. Like, the dreams come true. 
<laughs> that, that crazy that high good. true. I guess I got yes. it. I think I got it. I wasn't too you pitchy. You got that. Cliff, um, Cliff Edwards. But, yeah. but he didn't, Cliff Edwards, okay. But he didn't, he kind of like stopped sure. He didn't go for the jugular of the, the full falsetto, which like lets you, it, it kind of is right at the top, letting you know the movie in general will not strive for the high note. No. It's going to aim right. for something it can hit. Right, right. <laughs> No, they swapped the falsetto for an immediate quip. Like an immediately <laughs> also an immediate emblematic singer. what they do in general. More yeah. quips, less magic. Oh, isn't that a catchy tune? Mm. It is incredible how like Zemeckis's take on this material seems to begin and end with I like the original movie. He is so beholden to the original film and yet at every opportunity will undercut it and be like that's weird he did all that in a day. What am I doing singing? Why aren't I talking? Like every fucking other line is being like, this old movie's dumb, huh? Unnecessary um, connecting of tissue. Like I would, I never would have thought original Pinocchio is full of logic holes and unjustified character motivate. Never occurred to me. So now we have all of these odd middle scenes that don't really, it just, it feels very like, Noty. Let's get. Look, I mean, let's. We should really dig into the meat of this film. Uh, okay, now that he's gone, can we talk about? I did audition for this movie. We talked <laughs> about this at the. Wow. <laughs> did, did did we mention this on mic? I think at some point. Okay. I did yeah, audition for Jiminy Cricket. People I also know audition for Jiminy Cricket. Paul F. Tompkins. Brian Scott Jones. Could have I should have said what for you to because it's you well, and I, yeah. I wish you would have. But Paula Tompkins is a true like you're a kid that was on the table and that was on the table. It was one of these things where I was just like, oh, you're actually just reaching out to comedy people in our 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 real world's Jiminy Cricket, the closest right. equivalent. Someone who basically yeah. dresses like Jiminy Cricket on a <laughs> daily basis has the demeanor. Whoa, whoa! But you two might have come in with takes, you know. <laughs> Well, so this, is, that. this is the other thing I'll say. When I got the sides, it just said, underlined, please sound as close to 1940s movie as possible. All right. <laughs> like what? the note from casting was basically, do not put any take on this. Have no spin whatsoever. I worked so hard to just kind of like voice match it, which look, if they had paid me to do that, I would have done it happily. I felt like I had a pretty good Jiminy Cricket impression that sounded like the original movie. I have a similar register. Cliff Edwards. To that guy. Of course, yes. Right. It is an interesting skill, an interesting acting exercise, like like playing a real person in a biopic, I imagine. Right, like, right, right. I was like, this is the challenge, is to just study this original movie and sound as close to it as I can, and I felt like I did a pretty good job uh, while knowing this feels bizarre because Disney has people in-house who still play Jiminy Cricket. Like, they have sound-alikes sure. on their speed dial who will do it for, like, Kingdom Hearts or the theme parks or whatever. Oh, yeah, and they and I like that they've done that sometimes. Like, if the... Well, like, you know, hey, James Earl Jones will still be Mufasa or Jim right. Cummings will still be who. Like, why? Because nobody's seeing these... Did anyone watch it because of Joseph Gordon-Levitt? No, this is my thing. I'm like, <laughs> if you're reaching out to Paul F. Tompkins, I guess you're like, we want a little bit more of a name than the guy who currently plays Jiminy Cricket in our stable, who none of us can pull by name right now, right? But sure. then when you cast Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I go like, wow, I guess he must have secretly a great Jiminy Cricket impression in his back pocket, considering how much they were adamant that this has to sound exactly like the original thing. 
Yeah, but he right, but he's Zemeckis's friend, and he's worked with him, and he probably came in and was like, "Hey, I've got this idea. I'm going to do this." And Robert Zemeckis was probably like, "Yeah, that's great. I love that. Do that." And then you know, whatever, took a nap. I assume I wanna, that's what the production of this it- was like. Perfectly, he might take a nap during a couple of these lines. I want to make it very clear that I am in no way bitter about not being in this film. I, I in fact, feel a sense of relief. (laughs) But I do think it is perplexing to decide to cast a name who we all agree is not going to like actually get any kids to watch this movie, despite being a well liked star, and then not really. To basically settle for what sound like first takes on every single line. <laughs> Do you think, though, that this was like, is there a chance there's a whole scratch track of him doing like the Don John voice in this? Do I you mean, think this there's a chance help. that he tried something radically different and maybe at a screening they said, you know what, just we got to go back to the other. I don't know, but it's like, if, yeah, I don't know. It, it makes more sense. It would make more sense for him to do this in his speaking voice. Because yeah. while, yeah, then it's him. Then he's doing something, uh, like, <laughs> that you would get him to do. He like, probably would have given it... a better performance also if he yeah, wasn't so Yeah, without the weird, up. like, challenge and shackles, maybe, of having to be, like, Cliff Edwards. Because he Pretty can't specific. really do this voice, but he's, like, still trying to do the sometimes going into, you know? And why would you just do it? Cliff Edwards is in it and talks that way because it was the 40s. It's not the 40s now, and the rest of the movie isn't the 40s, I don't think. I mean, I I assume that Pinocchio is set in the 1800s sometimes, but then I don't know, because at one point, a cuckoo clock opened up, and there was a red cocktail dress in it. (laughs) Geppetto predicting the future of fashion. Yeah, I didn't mean to jump on. There's a lot. (laughs) No, 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 we should. Like, why does Geppetto make a clock with a sheriff coming out of his saloon? (laughs) <laughs> yes, the American West. How right. does he know about and, and the, sort of roughly in the style of Howdy Doody, like like the fifties children's yes. television? He doesn't know what television is. <laughs> hey, I'm a, I'm a worldly guy. He, that's what he would say. I don't know. I, I love I love to think about. I read I read a lot of books. In the 2020s, you're remaking a 1940s Americana version of 1800s Italy, small town Italy. <laughs> Which leaves everyone grasping for, what voice do I do? (laughs) Everyone has a different answer. How Italian am I? How past am I? How current am I? Everyone comes up with something different. You know what I like? I do like that at least there's a couple original IP cuckoo clocks in this. Not everything has to be IP, you know? But Geppetto falls prey to that. It's like the, the balance of the theme parks increasingly, yeah. Did you like the carved toy that Jiminy Cricket doffs his cap to the toy's ass? There's a lot of butt stuff in this movie. There's a lot of butt stuff. A lot of compared to the other Disney movies of this genre, a fair amount of tentacles as well. Yeah, Monstro has tentacles, and for whatever reason, the blue fairy wings are like Cthulhu-like. You know, (laughs) I I will say this: a, a. thread we found when we did our Zemeckis miniseries a couple years ago is especially when you get into this last decade or two of his work and more of the CGI mocap stuff. He loves making his wife a fetish object. There is like a very busty puppet in a Polar Express that looks like his wife, a marionette puppet. In uh, Beowulf, there's a very busty barmaid 
who has like giant swinging pendulous breasts in IMAX 3D that is played by and looks like his wife. Uh, similar in Marwin. Uh, yep. I'm sure it happens to some degree in Christmas Carol. When Jiminy ogles the butt in this, I almost was like waiting for the cut to her face to be like, oh, it's Leslie Zemeckis, <laughs> which it isn't. This doesn't look like her. But it's like every one of his animated movies has the moment where you're like, why did this just get so horny for a second? And then you look it up and the character's either modeled on, played by, or both his wife, Leslie Zemeckis, who's sort of like a modern burlesque woman. It's a director's signature. It's just a signature of a director. He's a wife guy. Robert Zemeckis in his Twilight years, he's a wife guy. Like the Huge internet, wife guy. you know? Yeah. Um. I feel like we should step back and talk about the development of this project and also touch upon Mike's background image on Zoom. But sure. the, the, you know, mid-2010s, uh, uh, what we've been talking about, the gold rush to just mine every piece of Disney classic IP and remake them in some form. This movie is put together uh, for Sam Mendes originally. Yeah, although I want to mention, Griffin, that as you, I'm sure, know, Jim Henson wanted to make a version for Disney in the 80s yes. with Steve Barron. And when that didn't happen, Steve Barron went on to make that movie, The Adventures of Pinocchio in the 90s with uh, which, Martin which, Landau. Uh, Jim Henson Workshop did work right. on. Right, and which, that which, movie which is, had a Henson hand. That movie is a nightmare. It's one of those movies that was like, one of those children films like Return to Oz or whatever, where you're like, this feels designed to traumatize children. I will say the puppetry in that film is impressive. Like, the Pinocchio is kind of just like, oh, this is how you can actually do a Pinocchio in live action. There's something kind of compelling about the fact that he's actually on real sets. Coppola always wanted to do a Pinocchio live action movie. Well, it, that was sort of one of his great unmade projects. It seems to be a, a story that fascinates many filmmakers, right? Like, obviously, we have Del Toro's version coming this year. Roberto Benigni's version, Griffin, as yes. your Zoom mm -hmm. background. There's been many other adaptations. And who was who did it again, by yes. the way? Roberto Benigni directs Pinocchio with himself as Pinocchio <laughs> in like 2002. It's, and then his, like it's his Life is Beautiful follow-up, right? It's him right. cashing that it's, check. It's his yeah. black check cash. And then like three years ago, he played Geppetto in a yes. new version of Pinocchio in the Matteo Gamora. Right, Matteo Garone. Yes, exactly. Yes. Garone. He previously had pretty uh, much all made like crime dramas. Well, look, I mean, has anyone else read the original Carlo Collodi book, Pinocchio? Because I was obsessed with it when I was a kid. Has anyone else read Pinocchio? I believe I read it as a child. Yeah. I've read the Wikipedia about what really happens and how he right. kills Jiminy Cricket. He kills Jiminy Cricket, who is not, does not get a Christian name. He's just Cricket. Right, and right. the cricket shows up and is like, hey, maybe stop being such a jerk. And Pinocchio's like, eat hammer, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he dies seconds later. Pinocchio's like, oh, I feel kind of bad about that. Well, moving on. Well, you know, it's a very, obviously, it's a very strict and upright moral tale about how, like, children need rules, essentially, yes. to follow. Um, and I was, I had it as a kid and I would read it over and over again, I think, because it was so dark. And I was just kind of transfixed by it. But I don't know if that's what compels filmmakers, like the original tale, or if it's just sort of the wonder of the original Disney movie, or just, as you say, Griffin, the kind of like, you know, the craftsman creating life angle, if that's what's cool about it. Like, the I, Geppetto I think it's thing. a bit of all three. I, I think directors relate to Geppetto, who always is more of a cipher than a character, you know? 
uh, or at the very least, just kind of like plot mechanics for most of your story. Um, and I think there's always been this challenge of like, you want a big actor to play Geppetto, so how do you make that role sort of more interesting to play outside of just being the opening and the end? I, I, I think there's the technological challenge of it, which has always interested people, and, and relating to the idea of being able to pull off that technical challenge. I think it's a combination of, yeah, it's like one of those stories as a kid that will like simultaneously terrify and compel you. And the original Disney movie has that balance. Like it's one of those... Disney films you watch where you're like, this is 60 minutes long. It is terrifying for how much people like to talk about Disney sanitizing these stories and the fact that he doesn't crush Jiminy and all of that sort of stuff. It is still like a very dark, scary movie. And it's yeah, very much it's, a movie about like yeah. Pinocchio having to like get his just desserts and learn lessons. The yeah. kids transforming into jackasses always frightened me Nightmare. as a kid. But then the more frightening thing, I think, was smooth Pinocchio at the very end. I never, yes. even as a kid, like, I, I'm glad <laughs> you got your wish. I'm glad everyone's happy and you're a sure. little weird little family. But uh, I I did not like smooth Pinocchio. And it it kind of, hap <laughs> it, it happens in this, but really far away. I was going to say, it's kind of telling that this movie barely does the he becomes a real boy at the end and even kind of shrugs and goes like, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, and you don't see him up front. Like, they're like, even this feels too upsetting for us to put on screen. Thank God. Imagine their take. Oh they my God. balance it out by making Lampwick more, just worse. Like, just more annoying, just more extra. Like, I don't know what I... I I said watching it, I hope and this might be too mean, but it's like Lampwick looks like a Pete Davidson that they took out of the oven too early, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but when when Disney finally gets this set up, it is Mendes and our, our friend, friend of the podcast, Chris Weitz, gets brought aboard to sort of write it and produce Oh, no. It. Yes. Is, is everything okay? This is all <laughs> I'm going to say. This is all I'm going to say as a disclaimer. I'm going to say this one oblique statement film development is a very weird attractive <laughs> process mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and sometimes credits end oddly in terms of who gets credited for what and when your uh, name on something might not mean very much at all sure but mendes is one of these figures that disney has clearly been trying to get to make one of these movies for them i feel like he's been attached to a few came very close to doing oz the great and powerful but he's one of these guys they want to do one of their big live action films Hank, similarly, one of the guys in rotation, they wanted him to play the Michael Keaton part in Dumbo. He sort of seemed like a white whale to get in one of their live action Disney films. Uh, and he is on board uh, for the whatever, this earlier version. And then he drops out at some point. Maybe Paul when Mendes King. drops out. I, yeah, I, I believe he gets yeah. brought on when the Paul King version happens. And this is Paul yeah. King straight off of uh, Paddington 2. So it's one yeah. of those moments where, like, people are equal parts like, Ugh, why is he doing a Pinocchio movie rather than Paddington 3? But simultaneously kind of having to say, like, look, I might have to trust and see what his version is. Like, right. I don't want to give Paul King benefit take. of the doubt now. Uh, and it did sound like there was a real take there at that point. He is the one who sells Hanks on doing it. Paul King drops out uh, for family issues. Um, and then Hanks leaves the movie. Uh, at some point. But what I just read is that Hanks was apparently, as this film is sort of like stuck in development hell, Disney still wants to get Hanks back on board. 
Hanks is apparently the one who suggests Zemeckis. Mm. Uh, sure, well, they know each other. Obviously. I'll do it if Bob comes and does it with me. Wow. That's friendship, I guess. <laughs> and this is like Zemeckis coming off of like three, you know, consecutive bombs. Um, but also a period where you kept on hearing that he was turning down shit like The Flash. That it was right? like, yep. people keep on throwing Zemeckis these big modern blockbusters and he's old fashioned. He doesn't care about superhero movies. He doesn't want to do this shit. And then it was like, he just loves this original movie. He wants to work with his body, buddy Tom. He's going to come in here and rewrite the thing and make it as much like the original film as possible. Hmm. Strange. And yet not still like, it'd be hard to imagine what, like when he's presenting his take, like, can you flash to what the presentation, like what, what would he have even said? Here's my take. What the no plan take. was. My guess is his one hour pitch meeting was screening the entirety of the 1940s Pinocchio and then pointing to the screen at certain times and going, but it'll, it'll be real and the camera will be doing this. <laughs> the cats are going to have hair. You're going to see right. and then the, the hair will get wet and it'll be wet looking hair. And this fish, this fish is going to be as pretty as my wife. I wouldn't be surprised if that's where his wife was in there, that she actually did the mocap for the fish. Uh, hey, Leslie, for flutter for me, could you? Could you just give me a quick flutter? But just interesting and important to mention that across this, you know, 10-year period of Disney trying to make their Pinocchio, this entire time Del Toro is desperately trying to make his own Pinocchio, stop motion with Gus Grimley, the illustrator, and his whole thing is like, I want to go back to the book. I want to make it darker. We have this very specific visual take. We're going to do it in stop motion. He can't get off the ground until the end of perhaps the Netflix blank check days and their push into animation. He finally gets the carte blanche to make this movie, which will come out on a different streaming service in like eight weeks. And uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to like Delta As well, yeah. stop motion. You got me with that, you know? Yeah. It and, does and, sound interesting. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Simultaneous mm. with this, Warner Brothers is very much trying to make their own live action Pinocchio because Robert Downey Jr. wants to do Pinocchio more than anything. He's it's obsessed. in this period, like, where everyone's looking to get him to do another big-budget film. Okay, you got the judge out of your system. You know, it's like, what ends up being the energy he devotes to Doolittle, he spends five years on trying to make Pinocchio, in which he would have played both Geppetto and done the mocap for Pinocchio. <laughs> yes. And yes. was going through different oh. directors. Do you remember who the first one was, David? No. Was Ben Stiller so. in there? Yes, I'm sorry. Mm. Ben Stiller was going yeah. to write and direct Robert Downey Jr.'s Pinocchio. Then mm -hmm. when Stiller drops out, it is right after Downey Jr. had dropped out of um, Inherent Vice. And he goes like Paul Thomas Anderson. Right. He right. brings Paul Thomas Anderson to Warner Brothers. Paul Thomas Anderson's like, look, I'd love to make a movie like this. No one ever lets me do this. I'd love to make a children's film. He goes in, he pitches for it. He's developing it for a while. And then after a couple months, he's just like, they thought my take was too weird. But his, his attitude was always, I'm not trying to make Arthouse Pinocchio. I would like to make a big budget family film. But he's probably just too idiosyncratic of a filmmaker to make something that didn't scare them slightly. And then after PTA drops out, it becomes Ron Howard, who feels very equivalent to Zemeckis of just like, give us a nice Americana baby boomer nostalgia take on this. And then at some point, the project just crumbles due to lack of interest, and probably the Disney version had more momentum at that point. Do you also think there's a chance getting daily rambling notes from Robert Downey Jr. 
might <laughs> influence the filmmakers. I, I cannot imagine. I mean, once again, it's like anything, his version would have default been more interesting because you imagine he would have done some weird oh. shit as Geppetto and some weird shit as Pinocchio. Even if it was mm-hmm. bad, even if it was Doolittle adjacent, there would have been idiosyncratic choices. Why does anyone, why do any actors ever want to play the child in anything? Like, which, which Semechus does that happen? Polar Express. Uh, Paul, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had to, like, change they dub it, him over. right? Yeah, yeah, they dub him over. And then the same thing Mars happened. Mars Needs Moms, too. Right, right, where it was Seth Green up until a month before the movie came out, and then they dubbed it over with a real kid. So is Downey just like, that's because they're lesser actors. It hasn't worked because the greatest actor hasn't done it. Right. So when like, I get my hands on this fucking kid part. What fucking voice was he going to do? Yeah. But is it like, may- maybe there's still a chance we can get like, you know, how Patrick Stewart did the night before Christmas and he did all the roles on the stage. Yes. So is there a chance we can get Downey Jr. on like the West End doing all the roles? <laughs> you know. Something like, like that. But like, just can they... Instead, just do something else. What if they did that? <laughs> something else where he played like an interesting character, like a journalist, maybe trying to solve a serial killer case or something. I don't know. Just be normal. Why can't you all just be normal? <laughs> is it the act? Is it the actor's life? Is it the song that's like kind of spinning in these older actors and directors' head? The High yeah. Diddly D song. It's just wild that both actors and directors feel inextricably drawn to this property once they get to a certain level of power, mm-hmm. clout, and esteem within the industry. Now it's time to do Pinocchio. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which Finally. is strange because weird, like, sub-porny Pinocchios. This whole history you're describing, I feel like eight different Pinocchios you haven't referred to just fell out of a tree. Like, isn't there some weird Polly Shore one that looks yes. like crap? Like, mm-hmm. there's so, like, why is it, it's viewed as so special and, oh, if I could only touch the magic orb that is Pinocchio. But then it just gets cranked out by weird, bizarre foreign animation studios and, and like, voiced listlessly by people who aren't paying attention. Like, the mix of special and not special of Pinocchio, I don't understand. David, you've seen that, the, the Polly Shore Pinocchio trailer, right? I have seen I, it, of course. Uh, you are, he's like, but, but dad, right? Like, yeah. you know, that's yeah, dad. I want to be a real boy. <laughs> 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 the, uh, the one element though, I think has some influence, whether people know it or not, is that this Pinocchio has been in the public domain for a long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Of, like since 1940, I read it's a, it's a very, very old book. It was uh, released yeah. in 1883. So yes. It is, Which, uh, it is right. in the public domain. Yeah. The, the copyrights that exist on this are essentially only the copyrights that Disney has on elements like Jiminy Cricket mm-hmm. right. or like these specific songs. The most confounding element of this movie to me, without fail, is that they cut three songs from the original movie for this. Yeah, they no, add f- uh, no four new songs that don't boy, exist. Correct. Like the song that were like the bonding of Geppetto and Pinocchio. And they put a different song in that's just. I think the song's called Pinocchio, Pinocchio. Correct. That's the Holy Smokey-O song. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Which yeah, Tom Hanks famously refuses to sing on screen. It's a thing like with Toy Story that he like turned it down three times because he was like, I don't do musicals and Pixar to be like, no songs, no songs. Right. 
Oh, so him singing that little song in two is a, is a big deal that he sings a huge his version deal. of, of uh, huge deal. You got a friend. Yeah. He talks wow. about that, like that it was a huge deal. And he actually, despite being like, I can't sing, does basically give it like a, a, the old college try in Toy Story 2. Whereas this, it feels like Alan Silvestri and Glenn Ballard presented him songs and he was like, no, I'm going to I'm going to talk this. I'm not even going to talk this rhythmically. The last thing I want to do is get into territory that I seek to avoid on our podcast, which if you don't listen to our show, it's about theme parks in theory, but we end up talking about a lot of other bullshit. Pop and culture ephemera. I, yeah. 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 And I, but I feel like I have to reveal that Glenn Ballard, who you mentioned, who's worked with Sylvester and other things, I, I forget what. Did all but, the Polar Express songs as well with Sylvester and Zemeckis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Hot chocolate. And I believe the two of the same team. We got it. Hot chocolate. <laughs> we got it. What's they also together wrote all the original songs for the Back to the Future musical. Oh, weird. Oh, I don't know much about that. Um, it's uh, it's, it's, about it's that. transferring to New York next year, most likely. It will... It Whoa. will be with us. So uh, you'll we'll know. be there. We'll be there opening night. It, well. it has both Huey Lewis songs, Earth Angel, yes. Johnny B. Good, yes. and then like 20 new Sylvester Ballard songs. Whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which if this is any indication, I'm a little yes. nervous. But the, uh, I, I mean, his name jumped out at me from the from the pop career. And I was looking at like, what are his things? Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette was him. He's the writer producer of Wilson Phillips' Hold On. But relevant to us and one of uh, uh, the podcast right guys specifically, he is the co-writer and producer of Aerosmith's Pink. Oh, boy. Wrote these original Pink when songs. I turn out the lights or whatever. I remember a that great, one. Honestly, a great song. <laughs> Bad Boys of Boston. Playing in Disney World right now outside loudly. They never played on the ride. It's not one of the ones. Not in rotation, on the ride, right? but yeah. outside in the common, like the area, children are just listening to the song "Pink" by Aerosmith. Children are hearing it as they walk to the adjacent Lightning McQueen Racing Academy. <laughs> David, do you know that there's an Aerosmith roller coaster at Disney? No, I did not know that. And it's why like you're there, why why well. <laughs> Well, Mike, would you like to feel this one? I'm not even asking in a mad way. I'm just, I don't well, understand. Uh, there were, they were, they went to a couple different bands. There's different rumors, and it's hard to tell exactly which ones are true of which band. Like, they may have gone to the Rolling Stones. I forget. Did they go to Kiss? Is that a weird I think rumor? So. I don't remember. But it was also, it came out of this era where now director Breck Eisner was taken to the Disney parks with his father, Michael <laughs> Eisner, as like a cynical teen. I don't know if Breck has something to do with roll, uh, rock and roller coaster. But I'm not giving Breck credit, but I feel like it's the long tail effect of that sort of attitude of we need things my son would think is cool. And the idea of like, yeah. let's have a really fast roller coaster with a cool band. Yeah. And I, and, then, and of course, it was like in their 50s Aerosmith. In the, <laughs> that was the coolest band Disney knew about at the time. Who, who you find, David, in the line like you go, you go to an exclusive recording studio session with Aerosmith where they are recording "Walk This Way" ag sure. again. For again. some reason, is that just yeah. the Paris one? I forget. But like, uh, yeah. no, no, they're they're recording "Walk This Way." Yeah, and, and Ken Marino is their engineer, and like a lot, Ileana Douglas is their Ileana manager. Douglas. Yes, yes. and she's love like. Her. You guys forgot that you have to go to a an award show a, in five minutes. A concert is it a concert? Concert, it's a concert. Yeah. So the premise of the ride is like you have to take their super fast car. Mm -hmm. It's a super stretch limo, of course. 
And they hook you up because we, you, hey, you know how we feel about our fans. Our fans yeah. gotta go with us. We love our fans. <laughs> we love a constant stream of our fans coming into our recording studio when we are recording one of our biggest hits again. <laughs> 20 this, years after the fact. This pre-ride video, David, there's a moment where Steven Tyler is like, oh no, I forgot about it. And he puts his hand over his forehead like this, but he does the shocker. <laughs> oh, yes, and, sir, and no right, one right, noticed. Yes. No, 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 years. not the shocker. Not, You're doing the devil horns. He did the shocker as in he did. He did, yes, he did the sex. Yes, two in the pink, one in the sting. Yes. No one uh, knows yes. for 20 years. And then Disney digitally added fingers <laughs> to make him have a flat hand. Like a year That's ago. With, with all, uh, you know, apologies to Pinocchio. That is my favorite Disney CGI moment. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Tyler's digital censored hand. Scott, you are, uh, uh, you're not thinking about, I can't wait to share a beer with my son when he turns 21. You're like, I can't wait till my son's older and I can explain this ride to him. <laughs> I, it'll, hopefully it'll still be there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw someone tweet about this or post this on the Reddit, but just the, the like, uh, what are some of your favorite examples of clear last minute studio notes? And it's the scene where Lampwick and Pinocchio are on the ride. They're boarding the ride. And there are, if you watch it with closed captions, seven different boys saying different lines, reestablishing that it is root beer that they're drinking. <laughs> it says like, boy one, hey, that root beer looks good. Boy two, yes. give me that root beer. <laughs> boy three, can't have enough of this root beer. They just like had added so many lines to underline. Because in but, the original, I think they are drinking beer, right? They, yeah, yes, yeah. I think it's Pleasure For Island, sure. for God's sake. Yeah, and cigars. smoking cigars. Smoking they smoke big cigars. How else do you know that they're being bad? I mean, the smashing is bad. And look, Contempt Corner. I can't imagine a darker thing. In this, It seemed like Contempt Corner, maybe their comment on social media. Is that what they're trying to tell us? Yeah, Everybody contempt. getting in a camera and get, be, I hate you. You stink. Contempt Corner was also where I was watching this movie from at that point in the movie. <laughs> they did. I, I do feel bad for the kid playing Lampwick because that hair and the makeup and whatever drab clothes, that they did him so dirty to go like, and this kid's a little rat. Like, this kid's a bad little fucker. I mean, they literally did him dirty. They just fucking yeah, like, they rolled had to him do around him. And, and soot. I, and soot. Let me say this. I like all the Contempt Corner stuff, and I like the Pleasure Island. I like being in Pleasure Island. And I will say this. I believe I like the most pieces of this movie of all of us. There are scenes, things that I liked as audiovisual entertainment. What did you like? The kids smashing the clocks I liked. I liked the kids like looting a store. I thought that was really funny. I liked all of this nonsense here. And and in addition, I liked uh, them on the ride. But I did like all the kids being bad. They found some funny ways for them to be G-rated bad. Well, this was before when we were uh, on the way to recording this, the trailer dropped and we all texted about it. And Mike, you were the one who said, I think it might be good. You threw that out there based on something based on somehow thing materials in the trailer. Cleo's fuck me eyes. There was the the attractive. (laughs) There was an attractive fish in there that did not play into my my thought that maybe the movie would be better or, or not bad. I'm not saying the movie's not bad. Don't get like well, I'm that's, not I was curious full... where you landed because you came in thinking, and we were wondering, will this be an episode? A kind of thing that happens a lot on Podcast the Ride, where you become a staunch defender of something that strikes everyone a little odd. 
And yeah. I was like, but I'm watching it and like, this isn't even, this won't get Mike fully. I, I know you're not going to Glenn Ballard or no Glenn Ballard. And I don't want to overtake the whole conversation here, but, but if, if I'm just going to lay out my cards on the table for the first 10 minutes with Tom Hanks and Geppetto, I was liking the movie. Look, I was saying the house is fun. It's inviting. It's Tom Hanks. Hanks. He's doing this. One of his voices that he's just, you know, does (laughs) at the drop of a hat. Uh, I liked all that stuff. I liked honest John and Gideon a lot. I really like them. I like looking at the snout, the snoot of honest John and his teeth. (laughs) I I don't understand this. Why you said that in the trailer. Your, Your reason for why you liked the trailer was I like this shot. And it was like a bulgy lens, yeah. Honest John, going down into Pinocchio's POV, which I'm glad you like that in the trailer, because in the film, it happened 130 <laughs> yes, times. That is 100 years <laughs> Every shot of mm-hmm. Honest John, he bent into frame like that. There's yeah. the thing, Zemeckis always talks about when he did his Polar Express, Beowulf, uh, a Christmas Carol run where he'd just be like, and we can do anything with the camera now. There's nothing you can write that we can't film. And it feels like he's still in that mode of like, I want to show you all the stuff we can do at a point where none of this feels exciting or novel. But with this movie in particular, it still feels like he has shots like Honest John putting his snout right into the non-existent lens or like Pinocchio's like lying nose stretching right towards the audience where it's like you're still composing this as if it was an IMAX 3D movie where people have not seen an effect like this ever. And we're going to just be wowed by the new tools at your disposal when we're like 20 years into this shit. And also your movie is going straight to Disney plus like that, that decision is made before they shoot a moment of non-film. I am wondering if uh, that was also part of his impetus for shooting uh, three different perspectives on a giant mound of shit that (laughs) Pinocchio is Pinocchio hovers around for a while, drops his apple next to it and picks it. He's like, oh, it didn't get touched, but it didn't touch the shit. Uh, I think it's still good. I'm not. I want to say I'm not a huge fan of the shit stuff. Yeah, it's one of those moments where a filmmaker provides the entire review critique of the movie in one image (laughs) for you to just throw back in his face. Actually, three images, because you had a head-on, and then you had a side, and then you had a different head-on. Yes, in think yes, I should have made that my background here. I'm going to do it now. Yeah, find the yeah, yeah, throw the shit up there. Did, what Griffin? What you're saying about uh, we got to showcase the tools of the medium? I, that seemed to me like the entire reason for Sophia the Seagull. Like, yes. like when Jiminy is saying, like, I need a ride. I got to find Pinocchio. He might as well be saying, I want to go on a madcap journey through the sky, where you go inside of rooms and then ride outside and then uh, ride along the roof, but you don't miss anything, and the camera is not uh, tethered to a, a crane or nothing. All right, well, I could do that <laughs> there for you. <laughs> There's the shit. It's, it's Sophia, the seagull, also a perfect example of one of these, like, Disney remakes where they're like, well, finally, we'll fix these narrative problems with the original film that are not problems anyone ever had. Like, filling in these plot holes that no one is bothered by, where they're like, well, how does Geppetto find out where Pinocchio is? We need a character who flies, who can be there in that location, clock it, and report back to Geppetto. We need a character who can say both, he has had to sell all his clocks, and then earlier, um, num, 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 num. 
That was my takeaway. They made Lorraine Bracco get in a booth and go, nom, 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 nom. Men will, men will make rooms and rooms of cuckoo clocks before going to freaking therapy. It is such a weird narrative element this movie tries to play of like this almost finding Nemo thing of Pinocchio being like, my dad hates me. He likes clocks more. That he needs to be told that his father loves him. Mike, I almost want to agree with you in certain places where, I mean, this is like, you know, faint praise award, but I was expecting to, for this to be one of the bad movies we cover that makes me like cosmically depressed. Whereas in reality, this movie mostly just made me tired. I, well, speaking of tired, look, I have a one month old baby and I oh. watched this movie. Congratulations. I watched this movie. Thank you. I watched this movie starting at 8 a.m. today with the baby on my lap for two hours. Yup. Yep. And I, the baby is very gassy and has been keeping us up a lot at night. So I was, I basically, anytime I would perk up, the movie was really doing something. So with the scenes I mentioned pushed through like three hours of sleep to, to make me go, okay, all right, pretty good. Cause I also thought maybe cause of all the word like that, I would be like, Oh my God, this thing. That's, that's what I felt like. Like, I don't want to say it was benefiting from lowered expectations and I can't isolate like sustained scenes that I enjoyed, but there would be isolated fleeting moments where I would at least feel marginally compelled by what was happening on screen. Yeah. You know, I, when I say I like Honest John, I like him. I'm the movie almost nothing to do. It's almost as if I like saw an interview on the news with somebody and I go, Oh, it seems like a guy I'd like to hang out with. <laughs> you, I think you just want to <laughs> hang with Honest John. Honest John hang with him. is a compelling character. He is the one element of this movie that I almost feel like Zemeckis leans into the nightmarish quality of. Yes. Whereas a lot of the Pleasure Island stuff feels very sanitized to me. And it's like, that's pretty much the only reason to make a live action Pinocchio yeah. is to go full nightmare on Pleasure Island. A hundred percent. Can I show you, can I show everyone this? I, I didn't, I just remembered this, that I, I, this is something I found on Twitter and whoever, I'll, I know who it's, who made this cause they posted it, but I found this, a fan cam of Honest John. <laughs> <laughs> from Voice, of course, Pinocchio. by Keegan Michael Key. Yes. Yes, I, I don't know how they got him. I mean, it's just like that guy hates that guy working. Hates the, doing the rarest hates bird, doing voice Keegan performance. Yeah. You got to drag uh, um, him into a VO booth. But I, yes, but uh, uh, I found this is a quick clip, but this makes me just like Honest John even more. Here we go. <laughs> oh my God. This is the thing that watching this, like, I love this guy. I love this guy. He at least has expressive physicality yes look at that snout it's okay. so realistic he's, he's I got have, a little <laughs> i did not like this i have things I to did say not like that at all david that, has sorry, things to that, say that, that, sorry, uh, real quick twitter user uh kaiser nico n-e-k-o is who, who posted that and i assume made it okay a few things one mike i apologize for bringing you on this podcast when you have a one-month-old baby to talk about robert zemeckis's pinocchio <laughs> that is horrible <laughs> You need sleep. Uh, how I, yeah, I do need sleep. That's true. But no, this is how I like to live my life. I like enjoy okay. this. Because I feel great shame for having done this. Um, two, this isn't I, as bad, but you interrupted Kubrick 
to do this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Stanley, True. be quiet. Right. Enough a out month, of you, Stan. You know, a, a month old babe, a month old father's being punished, and you guys have you have some of the greatest films ever made. We, right we truly had to postpone our episode on Doctor Strangelove <laughs> in order to get Pinocchio in there first. Um, two. I don't dis- a couple points. One, I think the CGI in this film is technically quite proficient, which like is not that surprising for a Zemeckis movie. There's stuff that feels janky, but like things like Honest John, you're like, this is not like a lazy job, you know, this is done. And, with and from care. a design perspective, they execute Honest John better than Jiminy Cricket. Like they they lean into what's weird about him. Yeah, hundred percent. The design of Jiminy Cricket is disaster. That I'm not going to defend. And I also think the Pinocchio design is is quite bad. Like it's so there's, weird. There's something off about it. I don't know why they decided to do those little tweaks. You know, I don't know. Anyway, but the other point is just like it is directed by Robert Zemeckis. The movie is not incompetently made or anything like that. Like I sort of know what you mean about like you could watch like a scene and be like, well, that was fine. You know, nobody. Looks at the camera. <laughs> like, obviously, he knows how to make a movie. He knows where to put the camera, basically, his virtual fake camera, you know. But there's just something like it's like he took what I liked about Pinocchio or whatever, like, you know, what I think about Pinocchio, and then he removed even that, like, even the sort of sanded off nice Disney 1940s Pinocchio, which, as you guys have all said, is still atmospheric and creepy and interesting. And now it's just about like an idiot. Like it's not even about a mischievous kid. It's just about like this, like perfectly guileless one day old creature. That's just sort of like, what should I do with myself? And like a Fox is like, I should be an actor. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll do that. You know, like there's no character. They, they find a way to absolve him of any agency for anything that happens in this movie until he unleashes his motorboat legs and proves to everyone that he's great because only a hero would do that. He's inspected. Pinocchio turns into Inspector Gadget a few times <laughs> a, a, in a this lot. movie. A number of times. Yeah. Uh, but and, oddly late. Like, for that's a pretty, that's a take. Now, that's something, yes. but it doesn't happen to like an hour 10 in. And then it happens a bunch. It's such a weird balance of, at, at for a lot of this movie, for most of this movie, you're thinking like Robert Zemeckis do less challenge, right? Like as David said, he is such a technically proficient filmmaker that even when he is clearly not super invested in the material, he just knows how to construct a movie, right? There is like a certain like smooth musicality to what he does. But then when you get to his thing of just like the fucking... Polar Express thing of like every moment feeling like it needs to be a roller coaster, right? Like every moment suddenly needing to be shot like a crazy action sequence with a swooping God's eye camera and all this sort of shit. You're like, if you scaled this back, the movie immediately becomes 25% better. Not good, but like less infuriating. And then there are other things where you're just like, well, then why aren't you doing more here narratively? If you're going to have Pinocchio occasionally have these, like, special powers, then I almost wish you just went all the fucking way. Yeah, he should have, yeah, he should shoot, like, wood out of his eyes or something. He should, there should Little, be Little, like, some... splinters that, like, yeah. get in on his John's eyes, ah, ah, and then he can escape. Use the 
the nose to pole vault, you know, tell a bunch of lies and then use it to get over a fence or something. He gets set on fire three times and three or four times <laughs> in the movie. And like, yeah, let's let's ramp that up. Seven, eight, nine times. <laughs> boy on wooden boy on fire scaring people like. Right. Like if you're going to make this an action movie, actually make an action movie, whereas it's this weird Zemeckis thing of just like shooting mundane things as if they are an action film, as if they are, like, spectacle. Yes, yeah. right. Can I say, uh, there was a gag that I legitimately liked and I thought was pretty funny, and it comes so, so close to the end of the movie when they're in Monstro and Geppetto throws Pinocchio, like, a rope with a plank of wood on it and just, like, beams him, like, just nails his ass. That I thought was very funny. But uh, then could, immediately, like, deflated by Hanks being like, I threw a piece of wood at the boy made out of wood. And I'm like, yeah. that's not a joke. What did you guys think of? You did all of that in one day? What, what, yeah. That's sort of his big joke at the end there. You know what? I weirdly, like... I didn't hate I, I, I don't like the meta nature of it right. and the, or the yeah, commentary right. nature of it. But you know what I liked about it is that, like, that finally... Tom Hanks feels like he's doing a Tom Hanks thing. Something. Even sitting in this, watching something. him be in this weird character box for a whole movie. And then that felt like him like being kind of funny and flustered. That was like 80s Tom Hanks. I, I So I liked it for that, actually. Yeah. Uh, conversely, uh, a moment I let out an auditory like, oh, was when the guy, <laughs> the guy who was taking them to Pleasure Island starts hopping around on top of everyone, going like, play, play, it's time to play. And like, I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, not this. That and the the moment where Jiminy Cricket is is listening to the Blue Fairy talk, there's like a moment where he's holding his umbrella and I forget what they were trying to convey, but it looked like he knocked over his umbrella because he got a boner and I had to keep rewinding it. And oh. I... I think it's solely like he just gets startled by something, but his hands go in front of his crotch. Zemeckis is weirdly horny. We talked about this a lot when we were deep I mean, in it. It does. There it is, comes up a lot. Yeah. There is that joke in this movie where someone like asked Jiminy about like he made a boy out of wood. And it's like, well, I guess there's another way to do it. But Geppetto doesn't get out much. It's something for the parents, though. <laughs> Yeah. I, now I appreciate my, stuff like a month ago you would have hated that joke, but now right, you but now it's I get a little. It's a little wink toward me and what I, what's happened in my life. Uh, Mike, how did you how did you feel about Joseph Gordon Levitt constantly, constantly referring to him as Pinocchio? <laughs> well, he does that in the original movie, doesn't he? Or no, he does. He does. Yeah. That's okay, like yeah. that's a Jiminy Cricketism. I'll right. say this too, because I watched the original movie, whatever it was, like two years ago. I watched it a couple of times when I was trying to work on my my self tape for this. Um, and from my memory, and then I checked to like verify this in the original film, it does seem to be pretty clearly established that it is multiple days. So like, yeah, the the sort of making the joke about you did all of that in one day isn't even a we're making fun of how weird it is the original movie takes place over one day. They're making fun of themselves for making a change to the story. But the thing that does seem to be one day in the original film is the time Geppetto spends with Pinocchio. Like, essentially, he creates him at night. The next morning, he sends him off to school. Pinocchio is lost. He has, like, a combined 12 hours with Pinocchio before Pinocchio goes missing. And this film, especially when we're talking about this thing of, like, 
the biggest human role in a Pinocchio movie is Geppetto. And the problem is, if you want to stunt cast that, there's no reason for him to be in most of the film. There is nothing for him to do for most of the running time. Even if you're going to send him out with a little lantern searching for Pinocchio, it's kind of a thankless role outside of the beginning and the end. In this, Jiminy Cricket just fucking talks over a montage that lasts for 10 seconds where he was like, and then they had a good family unit and they spent months and months together being very happy until the one day he decided to send him off to school. And I'm like, you're just breezing over the stuff you could have had Hanks do. And it seems very yeah. cold that all of a sudden I think you need to go to school. And like, right. what did he do? Why is he mad at him? Why? You didn't show us. Right. It's this thing of just like, it seems like a weird family, but they got along pretty well until one day. And then it's this attitude of like, Geppetto seems to resent Pinocchio. Pinocchio is aware of the fact that his father doesn't love him enough because he's not real. And, mm. you know, the whole thing with Pinocchio is obviously always this thing of like, Pinocchio has to learn his lessons in order to become a good boy, a real human boy as a reward. And this movie ends on this note of like, you've shown your character so much that you're more real than most boys who aren't made out of wood. You shouldn't want to be a real boy. You're better than real boys because you have motor legs. So fuck every other boy then. Every other boy right. is bad. And then you see half a second of him turning real and Cricket talks to the camera and he's like, I don't know. Some people say he turned real. I don't know if I believe that. See you later, folks. I, I was mad at that and annoyed by that. But then I also then I remembered that because of that rushed ending, I got to stop watching the movie. <laughs> right. I was so very like, thumbs up for it. Ultimately. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Perfect ending. <laughs> um, a friend of the podcast, Ray Tintori. I was hanging out with him when you texted me about how bad this film was, David. Mm hmm. And, and Ray was just like, how is it possible that it's that bad? Like, the original film is so weird. If you rewatch the original Disney yeah. film, it's weird yeah. and dark enough that if you're actually doing just a very straight remake of that, it should be more compelling than a lot of these Disney remakes. And beyond that, he was just like, there's the one slam dunk moment. There is no possible way Zemeckis fucks up, which is when they first start turning into the donkeys. And then you watch this, and it's like he botches it beyond but really screws it up. I, I, I was having that feeling as I was watching this movie and not really enjoying it and feeling like, why is everything so bright and kind of cheerful and just sort of one note? And then I was like, well, but the Pleasure Island stuff, turning into the donkeys, that's so intense. It, it has it to feels click like, for 10 minutes. Right. It feels like an inconvenience in this movie at best, <laughs> like that they're turning into donkey. It barely feels like, partly because nothing in this movie feels real, I guess. So like turning into donkey, I'm like, just like, well, one unreal thing is turning into another unreal thing. Oh, as opposed to, I mean, obviously the first one didn't feel real because it was animated, but it was yeah. like the best looking cartoon, like a shocking feels... level of visual uh, improvement of anything anybody had ever seen. So there was that visceral feeling any viewers got in 1940. But now, like, who hasn't seen hundreds of movies that roughly look like this? A bizarre decision also to make it that like, oh, for Pinocchio, he'll start turning into a donkey puppet. Right. Yes. Don't like mm -hmm. that. Like in the Disney film, he gets organic animal donkey ears <laughs> and tail. And in this, he's like, why is my wooden tail now gray? <laughs> also, right before is one of the craziest line reads I've ever heard, which is Lampwick. Uh, Pinocchio is kind of complaining about, like, you shouldn't, like, yell when somebody's taking a pool shot. And the kid says, it's, it's something like, 
why not? Psyching out your opponents is a great strategy. <laughs> you put the emphasis on G and what accent? Where are you from? And are you a 20s boy? Are you? Because then there's other times where he does a little asides that are just, he passes by Contempt Corner and he goes like, ah, I like those guys. Yeah, those, yeah, those guys are good. I don't know what bizarre strategy. Have you PTR guys seen uh, The Walk? No. I watched only no. because of Blank Check. I watched just the beginning. And, oh my God, what a, what a gift you gave. <laughs> I'm recommending it. Just the beginning is not what you should watch from The Walk. <laughs> oh, I loved it. You can... yep. but, but I almost think that this, that is the film that this is most similar to in his career, where it's like, there is already an excellent movie version of this story. You are now retelling it with a bizarre heightened tone, this constant feeling of like weird CGI artificiality, this like totally tone deaf uh, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt performance with a shaky voice <laughs> narrating this entire film to you as if you're charmed. But I'm watching this movie much like David, where I'm just like, well, much like The Walk, where in the middle of this movie that is not really connecting, you get this 10 minute bravura sequence. Like the walk itself in the walk is phenomenal. Wow. It's like Zemeckis at the top of his powers. And I'm like, when they get to Pleasure Island, he's going to start just fucking hitting homers. We're just going to get 10 minutes of weird fucking Zemeckis nightmare fuel. And you're right, David. It feels like an obligation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. There's not a lot of joy for this material in general. It feels like there's a little bit of joy for the character designs, but yeah, like they yeah. don't even really fully commit to the original songs. They basically don't no. let them play out in full. <laughs> no, they seem disturbed by the original songs or whatever. They Yeah, they think they're not cool or something. I don't know. They cut three of them. Mike, you pointed out uh, that uh, there's some quote-unquote original IP in Geppetto's Cuckoo Clock Wall, that 90% of them are restagings of Disney films, but there are a few original ones. I believe almost all the ones that are not based on Disney movies are from the original Disney film. But a couple of them, I know there's the one where there's the mother spanking her child or a nun spanking a child. And then there's a policeman behind them with like a billy club waiting to arrest the nun is a cuckoo clock from the original film. But they add the policeman to say, we obviously don't condone child abuse. Uh, like this modern so the solution bent. was we don't like child. So a police officer will come right. in and. Make everything better. We'll stop the. Don't worry, kids. Don't worry. The carceral state is here. Don't put that fucking cuckoo clock in the film then. No one's making you put this on screen, let alone put it on and go like, but we want to show where our moral stance is on this cuckoo clock. Mm -hmm. This is the stuff Disney's worried about is the cuckoo clock being right and being moral, and they want to make sure Krusty the Clown's Super 7 toy doesn't have a cigarette. <laughs> Mike, you and I could spend 15 minutes ranting about this. It's a big problem, this David. This is what they're worried about. They got rid of the alternate cigarette hand. They got rid of the alternate smoking head. They got rid of Mr. Teeny's cigar. Yes. Yes. This is a $55 adult collectible. Correct. This is going direct to consumer. It's not going to sell at retail. No. And that's what they, yeah, they Who had to put it in. Who are you censoring this for? Who are you censoring this for is the answer. And Should it's not talk... censored on Disney+. Plus. It's not. Should we talk about uh, the other primary original character in this film, which is Pinocchio's love interest, a woman who wants to, uh, 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 I, I don't know, <laughs> abolish the UCB and build a more sustainable model for reformers <laughs> who communicates yeah, with Pinocchio. 
with Pinocchio through a puppet who he's in love with. Like a more like a more equitable Mitzi Shore. Like right. what are we thinking? Uh, runs a theater of some kind or a club. This other version of the fucking Disney remake thing where it's like we have to make these films a little more progressive. You know, we have to update them to modern times and the things we didn't know back then. So you're talking about um, Fabiana and Sabina? Yeah. Yes, yes. Right. right. The It's not quite the, you know, girl who loves STEM character, but it's sort of that equivalent, right? Like I want to create you know, a more moral, uh, ethical entertainment industry where we can right, kick right. abusers out. And it's just like, yeah, no one likes Stromboli. What, what the fuck are you talking about? He's not he's he's not a great manager. We don't need you to say like we need to build a better industry without Stromboli figures where the artists I, have a stake in their own material. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I saw this movie. I'm going to say I saw this movie like I saw this movie like days before I went to Toronto. So I'm going to say like 10 I, or 11 days ago. I think it was ago. exactly like yeah. 2 weeks ago if Might not be a little two less. Weeks. Yeah. yeah. I com- the minute you mentioned it I remembered, but I completely forgot about this that this happens in this movie that there's this character and all of this going on like i i had just spaced on this because you just went and watched like you watched how many movies have you watched since you watched pinocchio like some of which were probably two movies (laughs) david david you're also likely fatigued because you spent so many hours standing up and clapping (laughs) of of course this is what we've learned minute 19 (laughs) minutes Start the stopwatch. They're going. They're going. We're going Start to the record. stopwatch. White noise deserves more. <laughs> That's the shame is, David, you were at TIFF for what? Like five days? Yeah, five, six days. Yeah, and a, f- days. a full three of those days were just spent in standing ovations. You could have seen so many more films. <laughs> I need to sleep. I was screaming as I keep Let clapping. Me out of here. I got to do it. I got to do it for the Fablemans. The security guards are like wedging a chair underneath the the doorknob outside. You can't leave the theater until the standing O is done. And spikes shoot up from the seats. You're not allowed to sit back down. (laughs) Tears your butt up. Sam Mendes, like slow walking to the stage, being like, keep it going. I'm not not taking the stage until we hit 10 minutes at the very least. Um, Ironically... This movie, one movie has more tragedy packed into it than all of the films you saw at that film festival. Well, like this fucking Fabiana character is just like so overloaded with like, okay, oppressed performer, right? Right, in an Mm unjust system who also was a ballerina who cannot dance anymore because of some unclear debilitating injury or illness that affected her leg. So now she's able to only dance through the puppet. Is this a, a, a disease from childhood or did she sprain her leg a month ago? Right, right. Is it a Forrest Gump thing or is it like, right, a temporary injury? Uh, and then, right, has this weird relationship with Pinocchio where he's in love with her puppet, seemingly not kind of understanding that the puppet isn't real. He like understands that she's his friend, but the puppet he has the hots for. It's so confusing because the end of the movie, the, the message is like, you're a boy. If you if you act like a boy, you're a boy. That's the message. So it's like, why would he be in love with a puppet who is who is not sentient? Yeah. Yeah, I also feel square. like the original film has more of this element of like Honest John being like the snake in the garden of evil. And once you give in to him, you're on like a doom ride, right? 
And it's like, Honest John gives him over to Stromboli. He also gives him over to the fucking coachman. Like, everything bad that happens to Pinocchio is some way orchestrated by Honest John. Whereas, like, he has a much smaller role in this film. He feels just like a shitty talent agent who you work with at the beginning of your career. <laughs> and then his hands are like... thing that's a late... Uh, oh, right. my God. Stop it. Stop right. it. Weren't these jokes started in... Were there agent jokes with the Marx Brothers? Like, what... This is the and most the influencer comment, yeah. Oh, but then influencer. it's sort of like the coachman thing. He sort of just stumbles backwards into Stromboli, who is played by just a good Italian actor. One of these well, he things is good. where you're just like, yeah, you're, yeah, because you're just like they cast Giuseppe Battiston. He's got like eighteen David Notello awards right. to his name. Yes. He, this <laughs> is a guy who doesn't have to fucking balance his own movie star persona with the demands of this role. They can just put a big fake beard on him. He can speak in his real accent and just play an evil man. Like, it's what you need out of these roles. It was nice when he was on screen doing, he, like, did a monologue and just a, a human actor carried the film <laughs> for 30 seconds. Like, we got to take a break from cuts and seagulls going in and out of window. Like, wow, the power of a man talking. A lens had to be affixed to a camera. <laughs> he had to memorize that chunk of dialogue. I think uh, uh, Luke Evans is having a, a slight amount of fun. I think he is the only thing that makes the Pleasure Island sequence feel a little bit menacing. Yeah, my issue, not enough of him. He does, he just kind of pops in, yeah. But but it's also like in, in the original film, it does feel like, as we've said, like Pinocchio makes these choices driven by bad impulses. He needs to understand, like learn a sort of moral compass. Whereas in this, everyone's like, Pinocchio, you should be famous. And he's like, I don't know, I guess so. Like, he never feels like he wants any of the things that are being hoisted upon him. It's this thing we're talking about where it just makes Pinocchio like an idiot, right? This guileless idiot who just stumbles into things. And that he and, never fully, yeah, he he's never, never fully it. in love with Pleasure Island. He never like, has like the in temptation. The original, he, yeah, yeah, like he's fully on board. And... Drinking and smoking. I think that was maybe like he 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 gave in to like uh, greed and this sh uh, shady career, and now he has a, a problem, and then he gets punished for it. Reads a little better than he's never. He doesn't really want to do any of it. But this so is, why? Yeah, this is the problem with modern Disney and the rules is you can't do that stuff. Even though the what there's telling little boys not to smoke cigars. Disney doesn't want to portray a cool little boy like Pinocchio smoking a cigar, yes. even if it's saying it's bad. You can't right. show it. Wolverine can't smoke a cigar. Krusty the Clown's toy Cannot can't smoke. smoke a cigarette, even though Krusty is not a role model. I never said I was a role model. That's just my impression of Krusty saying. <laughs> for how much Disney seems obsessed with like conforming these films to these very standard sort of screenwriting narratives, these sort of save the cat. Here's how you set up a character. Here's how they grow. Here's how they learn and change. Pinocchio does not grow, learn, or change at all in this film. The onus is entirely on Geppetto to learn how to love him, basically, <laughs> right? Pinocchio is just sort of like this weird, like impartial guy getting like, uh, you know, kicked around from one plot point to another. 
And I saw they screened uh, uh, Sleeping Beauty uh, at in 70 millimeter at the Museum of Moving Image here in New York City, which is just like rarely for a studio that used to be famous for re-releasing their movies in theaters every year. It is so hard to ever see like a film print of a Disney animated film scream now. You watch Sleeping Beauty, which is this like incredible, bizarre work of art. And there's something to that movie, which I also think exists in the original Pinocchio, most of the first like 20 or 30 years of Disney animation, where those movies like don't have credited screenwriters. They were written through storyboard, basically with a team of animators looking at whatever original material they were adapting and then going like, okay, so what should the big sequences be? And then they work out the big sequences. And so you get these things where like, Big narrative beats are sort of brushed over, but you'll have like a 15-minute sequence of the three fairy godmothers in Sleeping Beauty trying to figure out how to build a cake because the animators are like, well, this is fun and interesting and visually compelling or whatever. But now they go backwards and th these sequences are kind of slavishly recreated. At, and But then with a bunch of, we got to get all that screenwritery stuff We got to put now. all the screenwritery bullshit on top of it. Right. At, which, like, sucks the joy out of the things that, as, like, a child, you'd be eerily fascinated by. Where you're like, this sequence is just weird movement and emotions and, like, physical comedy for ten minutes with no plot drive. Yeah, nothing, I mean, nothing, nothing is made a meal of, like, the donkey stuff. It's like, as a child, that'll haunt you forever, and no kid is ever going to remember the donkeys, like they're not going to be haunted by the donkey stuff. That nothing is, nothing is going to haunt them from this movie. <laughs> they it's might so, like it. It's so fast, and so many of them get dumped in trap doors with smoke monsters, and it's dark and smeary. And um, can someone remind me to? Because uh, we mentioned Honest John and Pinocchio earlier. Um, does Pinocchio in the in the original movie Pinocchio sings? an actor's life for me for a bit, right? Yes. 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 But, yeah, he doesn't in this movie, though. Oh, does right. he? That's weird, I don't yeah. Think, yeah, and I, I always thought that, I have always thought, like, I'm wondering if this is what Walt Disney really believed at actors, that they're suckers and they're, they're very slight people and they're, like, they're mostly children being fooled into this, like, exploitative industry, what she helped uh run um but i just thought that was very strange because in this movie it's just like a fun little number that honest john gets to do while like hopping down the street you well know? and that they give wish upon a star mostly to the fairy godmother uh, the blue fairy rather than jiminy cricket i mean taking that song away from pinocchio feels like them saying well he doesn't enjoy acting it's not like he's like falling into the allure of fame people just push him to, to do it he's like, like an unwilling child actor. doesn't he have to yeah, yeah. So weird. I think I think in the original cartoon he was mostly just mimicking. Like he's like just trying out. Like, well, this is what this guy told me to do, and he seems nice, right? But then he like has to get the bug a little bit. You know, yeah. he has to be lured into temptation. I could I could tell that he was uh, sitting still in that phone call because there wasn't a, a loud chirp with each. Uh, movements that he made that seems to be a lot of like robert zemeckis's uh excitement over being able to do a modern pinocchio is like oh we'll add in noises of clanking every time pinocchio does anything we'll we'll try to more realistically 
uh, realize how annoying it would be for someone made out of wood to move a lot. Where are we going to get all of these uh, cricket sounds? Like, how are we going to be able to have enough variety? Uh, Well, what if we uh, tell a joke about Chris Pine and then just record what any audience does after we play? (laughs) Christ. This odd, like, I want it to just be exactly like the 1940s movie, but also put as many meta-modern-day references and sort of Chris just, like, Pine. self-knowing, Chris like, Pine. we're comment- we're stepping out to comment on the movie from a modern perspective. The Pine thing is beyond the pit. It's all California Adventure Aladdin. It's all, like, it, it, like it's too, it has to make a topical reverence. Genius but to there, make a topical reverence. But then reverence. more of it, I think it stands, I think it's strange that there's one. And that it's not something Honest John is doing a lot. It makes it a, a weird well, island. Influencer is sort of a new, like, oh, there's yeah, a few yeah, that's more. That's the pine is the most People did not like one. that. That was yeah. hitting Twitter. I saw that. People griping about influencer. The use yeah, of I, I yeah. hate that. If I can just contribute my opinion. <laughs> oh, yo, that's yeah. your take. <laughs> uh, I got to say, I don't really like looking at Pinocchio. No, he's got a not. cartoon face. He's got a cartoon. He's cartoon face they decided not to go anything that looked like the rest of the characters and he has a painted on cartoon face from the original movie yeah uh i it's a real sense of unease comes over me if i look at him too long (laughs) that said if he had hit the dab I would have liked that. <laughs> I would have been, 100%. Were yeah. you screaming that at the screen? Dab! Come on, Dab! Pinocchio! You're getting, a, you're getting applause. You're getting standing applause like you're at a film festival from this crowd. Hit the dab. They'll go crazy. I saw, I mean, it's much like the, the Lion King remake uh, on an opposite end where it's like, if you make these lions look completely realistic, you cannot make them expressive in the way that actually gives you the value of this film being animated. There's the opposite problem with this movie where it's like he is too directly based off the original Disney design in a way that does not actually translate to quote unquote live action. And I saw some animators I follow pointing out and it's a subtle thing, but it is a big thing that fucks up his expressiveness because I'm just looking here like in in our Zoom grid, Mike's uh, (laughs) Zoom background is a photo of Paul Thomas Anderson next to a photoshopped image of original Disney hand-drawn Pinocchio with sunglasses and a goatee added to look like Robert Downey Jr. from the announcement <laughs> of the time that Paul Tom Sanderson was going to make that movie. David I, I'm Zoom glad background. you said that because I was like, why does Pinocchio have Godard glasses on? It's, it's <laughs> R- RDJ <laughs> Pinocchio. And then uh, below him, David has uh, his Zoom background as Pinocchio now looking at a couple turds. So you're like looking at basically hand-drawn Pinocchio and then uh, CGI Pinocchio right on top of each other from my vision. And a, a big thing that fucks up the Pinocchio design in this movie is that his eyes do not have circles around them, that they are yes. not outlined. Where it's like, well, yes, because that's like an animation thing. He's got outlines around every part of his body to differentiate where those things are. And they're almost like, well, you wouldn't need to outline it because you could just paint white on those spots of the wood, but it does make his face kind of just like slide off. There's also something where if, if you know what I'm talking about, if, like the way his cheeks, his cheeks have this unnatural kind of fuzzy line. That's like, if you're trying to make a gradient in Photoshop or a similar program and you don't do it exactly smoothly. So there's kind of this, this 
jagged. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know how to put it in proper design terms, but like it, his face looks like a, a, a badly done gradient that's like fuzzing out. Also, it's like, on the when, when they like close up on his face and you see like their approximation of like wood grain, the texture on you know his body and his his skin, his non skin as it were. I'm like, it looks like the fucking wooden floors in the first Toy Story. Like, it truly <laughs> looks like they just took, like, a medium-res wallpaper from, like, Windows 95 and just mapped it over this model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... When they had... He has a single... He brings Geppetto back to life with a single tear at the end of the movie. That yes. close-up. Uh, and the close-up on that is so weird. Too close. Too and then close. Geppetto spits up. He gets out rid of the water that was blocking right. his pipe, and the spit has magic in it. He Tom Hanks spits magic spit, and then at the beginning, there's a weird before. I think it's before the blue fairy actually appears in the room. The way Pinocchio comes to life is that she, from afar, sprays a hose of magic onto a photo of a dead child. Right banks like a trick shot off of the dead child <laughs> and onto weird that's right. how he comes to, instead of like a glow the way the first one did it the, the magic in this movie is like an mcu energy beam and then also she has to like use the photo as a reflective surface to like channel the magic energy into the right spot and fuse a little bit and god knows we need more movies with blue sky beams there have not been enough movies over the last decade with blue magic shooting up into or coming down from the sky. And having weird, like, sparks flying off of it. Children love it. They love the sky beams. Children love the uh, digital photo process known as HDR. They're going wild for it. That's how these live-action remakes keep getting remade. But, but it's also one of these things, when you talk about this movie being in such a hurry that it doesn't actually enjoy any of the beats it feels contractually obligated to go through from the original film. It's this inexplicable thing about all these fucking remakes where you're like, it's 30 minutes longer and yet feels rushed. The things they are adding largely outside of things like like Puppet Lady feel like, where, where is this fat? I can feel it. But it's not like they're tangibly adding any extra material you scan through it. The moment Pinocchio comes to life in this movie is minute 19. Oh. <laughs> I believe And he- isn't all of that, isn't everything, except uh, uh, until, uh, you know, Jiminy probably gets in the house at minute, from minute one to two or something. Right. Everything else is just in that house. You're in the house. You're at Geppetto's workshop for it, so I mean, long. And I guess part of it is just like, we need to give Hank something to do. There has to be something. The second Pinocchio's born, his- character immediately becomes less important but the original movie i want to scrub through here but i believe he meets honest john at minute 10 the original movie is probably only like 80 minutes right it's pretty short oddly you know what i'm proven incredibly wrong here and this is wild and it defies logic he's he's making pinocchio like minute two pinocchio comes to life minute 16 in the original film because he's around, okay. the puppet boy's around for a while. Right, like that's a the puppet. thing. There's more of like Geppetto playing with the puppet and talking to him and connecting with him as the son he doesn't have yeah, rather than looked, adding this sort of dead wife and dead child that Geppetto has never gotten over. That is oh. a good, that is a good, um, uh, what they did in this version is they made Geppetto less of the saddest maniac. 
they could, which is what I like about Geppetto. I mean, I like Geppetto. I understand why I would love to play Geppetto. I, the more we talk about this, I do realize that I do want to play Geppetto because he's out of his mind. It's a sad character, but like, oh, little puppet, like doing the voice, doing the like, all of that nonsense is fun. And I do think they took something away from Tom Hanks, who could have been able to portray a man at the edge, at the edge of sanity. Oh yeah, he's not teetering. Even in yeah. his despair, he has it together too much. You need I, that like, oh, yes. like he's, he's losing his mind whenever he talks. Griffin, you've seen Griffin and David. Have you seen this clip? Scott unearthed this clip years ago now on our podcast. Oh, it's, I was I was gonna plug it at the end. I was gonna oh, be okay. my plug. No, no, no. But by all means, let's talk about it now. Yeah, there's well, this like because if you're talking about uh, Pinocchio material, you prefer I might feel free to explain it. But this oh, great thing go, from I mean, the it's, 70s. it's the great actor Avery Schreiber uh, doing a t- uh, uh, a Disney special. Yes, uh, uh, a version of Geppetto that is so out of his mind and he's talking to himself and talking to every other object and telling these odd stories about oh pinocchio when i give you a bath uh, you warp and when i gave you a spanking oh it gave me so many blisters (laughs) and then he sings this bizarre song while making himself a new friend because pinocchio isn't coming home for the holidays (laughs) and then at the end the reveal is that he's made himself a new geppetto himself who he kisses on the Ooh. mouth, I think. This is fantastic. It's fantastic. Well, he won't and repost it after, but check please. this clip. I love the Avery Schreiber. Avery Schreiber's top Geppetto to me. Yeah, but but I, but I, yeah, they took that away from Tom to be able to play into a little bit more of like his damage and I, uh, how yes. he's being able to, you know, work it out, work out his, his issues. And then it also feels like they, I mean, they cut back to him a couple times being like bereft and searching for Pinocchio, fighting against the elements of the weather and whatever, but none of it feels very active. And then there is just this thing of like, Geppetto gets swallowed by the whale. Pinocchio has this moment where he has to decide to save him. Pinocchio right. becomes a superhero at the last and then, moment. And then he's dead. He's floating like in a puddle. Right. The classic right. Uh, image to convey one being tired after a day's work on twitter.com. Right. You know, yeah. Floating, the dead floating <laughs> Pinocchio corpse. People are like, but oh, also, FML. Right, right. Um, uh, I, I direct this question to David because I, I know Jason, Mike, and Scott know this exists and have uh, talked about it before. David, are you at all familiar with the existence of Geppetto, the 2000 TV movie? Uh, no, I am not. What is that? There was a live action Disney Pinocchio movie done for okay. the wonderful world of Disney. I'm vaguely aware of this because I think I knew that Julia Louis-Dreyfus had played the Blue Correct. Fairy. Yeah, yeah. Drew Carey that. plays right. Geppetto. It was original songs written by Stephen Schwartz. That. It was a wholly original musical that was not like obsessively beholden to the original Disney film. It was designed to be a Dick Van Dyke and Julie Andrews reunion with Julie Andrews what? playing the Blue Fairy That's and Dick why? Van Dyke as Geppetto. That was the whole existence of this project. And it got far along Julie Andrews had her throat surgery, couldn't perform, and they like decided to do it with sitcom stars instead. It is right. not a great How do movie. you get to that? What a strange leap. Yes, it's bizarre, but it's like a full musical, and it does feel like that one sort of is like, we're going to focus more on Geppetto. We're going to make Geppetto an active character. The hunt for Pinocchio, this father's quest, like Finding Nemo style, where we can sort of like bifurcate the narrative and show both of them going on these journeys until they reunite at the end. 
I, I kind of auditioned uh, some of this, uh, the 2022 Pinocchio to see if my wife wanted to watch more of it. She bailed at five minutes, understandably. I did it solo. Uh, but we, at, at that decision point, we were like, oh, we got to put on. We got to do Drew Carey, right? We like dove for <laughs> the song Since I Gave My Heart Away. A ballad this, belted out by Drew Carey. This is the other thing. I think it's a better song. I than agree. In this one. Yes. That movie is better. Even as a child, like a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, whatever, who was obsessed with the Drew Carey show, I thought that movie was not very good when it yeah, premiered. Sure. It is inarguably better than this. It wow. weirdly feels like Drew Carey had more of a take on Geppetto in that, like, he didn't go for the lunacy of what you're talking about, Mike. He didn't go full Avery Schreiber. Right, right, right. He actually was like, I'm going to play this like a real guy. I'm going to play the emotional honesty of this man being bereft at the thought of his child being out in the world in danger. And, like, Drew Carey can't really sing. He put a lot more energy into those songs than Hanks, who's just like, I fundamentally refuse to even attempt to hit any notes on any of these. Your you songs will be it, spoken, staccato, <laughs> rapped. <laughs> he, you, it means so much to Drew Carey, you can tell. And it's really, it's, it's sweet as he tries to like, my heart away. He yes. cannot get there, but the song is heartfelt and you know he loves to, I, I here's full declaration, uh, better songs in that since I gave my heart away. The Geppetto, he sings this weird song today I, that I think is better than anything in this one. And then there's this weird Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night non-Disney filmation cartoon from 87 yes. where Ricky Lee Jones sings a bizarre, creepy mm, song that is better. also better than anything. I, there's been a lot of actually solid Pinocchio songs in Not the One We Know. No, this, the Stephen Schwartz songs in Geppetto are pretty good. Uh, uh, other castings in Geppetto, by the way, David, Brent Spiner F plays Tromboli. Cool. That sounds good. He's good. I mean, He's really good. I guess. Yeah. Usher, Usher Raymond plays like the ringmaster of Pleasure Island. Of course. He still does to this day, honestly. <laughs> uh, if you think of, you know, just uh, the entertainment world as Pleasure Island. Uh, I, I want to tell you that Scott Grimes was the voice of Pinocchio in that 1987 version. And James Earl Jones was the emperor of the night. Just look that up. Wow. wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, although uh, Scott Grimes again. Who's Scott Grimes? He's he was in like Party of Five and ER. He's like a guy. I don't know. Huh. It's a, he must have just been child <laughs> Scott Grimes. Are there any final thoughts on this movie from any um, of us? Well, you know, I I knew uh, from my memory as a child that this would be a little unnerving. And I know Scott's not the biggest fan of Pinocchio. So I wanted to try to make it a little more palatable. So I fed a prompt into an AI bot uh, <laughs> to see what would happen. This is, this is all the rage now, these AI bots. You can tell them to make art. And um, it, didn't, it didn't exactly uh, go as planned. Uh, my prompt was Peter Pan and Pinocchio eating ice cream sundaes in a Fry's Electronics parking lot. So <laughs> something okay, for that's... me. Uh, uh, ice cream, something for Scott, Fry's Electronics. Very obsessed with this. And, and another brand, thing yeah. for Scott, Pinocchio, his favorite character in all of fiction. <laughs> well, Pinocchio and Pan. Yeah. So yeah, this, right, is, right. this is what I got. Uh, oh. Ew, oh, these faces. <laughs> the this eyes. Ah, the eyes. What's wrong with the eyes? <laughs> no. 
Those, okay. They're all melting. What's wrong yeah, with they these always, boys? It's the AI thing. They always look like they're melting. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, it, Jason, please text us to me so we can post it on our, our social I, media. I absolutely will. Yeah. These are modern freak boy children. Uh, they're likely the background <laughs> actors in the Pleasure Island sequence. But why does that, that the black and white one, why does one kind of look like John Mulaney? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> we didn't even uh, mention our badges either. I forgot. I, well, of course, this movie was the uh, the premiere uh, S S ticket uh, E ticket uh, Disney Plus Day uh, debut, right? Uh, of uh-huh. course, the national holiday right. of Disney Plus Day. Uh, this was the big original film, and Jason went through the trouble of mailing David and I. Ah. Yep. Uh, Disney Plus Day pins, which he said he had lying around. He texted me to say, uh, can I please get this from you? Uh, I'm not going to send them to Scott and Mike, and we can do a bit about them feeling left out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Check they out had this them. swag. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, well, is this the bit? Are we doing the bit now? Uh, Scott and Mike, I, I, I gave you these badges at the end of November 2021 when I was freshly back from Disney World, and I, I just assumed you would have been wearing them in excitement of celebrating <laughs> this year's, year's Disney. Plus, Mike, you just moved and had a baby. Uh, surely you know where this button is. The oh, turn yeah. over oh, the calendar. Disney Plus Day is circled in blue. Oh, yeah. I uh, A button that I ended up with five or six of them because my family went like, do you want these? I don't want to take this back on a... I don't want to fit this in my luggage. Hey, freak. This is something you'd like. Yeah. <laughs> and then I saw pictures from this year's Disney Plus Day, and sure enough, they were giving out the very same buttons with the new date on it. Right. So. This one just says November 12th, 2021. So now it's a it's a historic artifact. I just want to point out, you know, I appreciate you taking the time and energy to send it. It was absolutely worth the bit. Um, included in the envelope was also a note handwritten on personalized Jason Sheridan stationery. I do a station. <laughs> I have stationery, yes. What? And the note, I the, want a letter. I'm, I'm going to show this at the screen, but the note just says, there was, you know, the card with the pin attached to it, and then this note card, which just, a, a very formal Jason Sheridan and a very elegant font at the top of the card, and then just says, Griffin, cherish this. Signed, <laughs> Jason Sheridan. Now, I have to be honest, I might uh, lose this, this button, the card I will cherish. <laughs> I will. Go. I will cherish this, David. Uh, I. I. Griffin explained that you were freshly back from Toronto, and I, I probably over explained on the the card I uh, uh, sent to you. I probably over explained. Like, uh, I should have just said, "Put this button on when we were." <laughs> it's it's fine. It's fine. It was. It made it seem more sincere, though, which was funny. Like yes. that you were just like uh, explaining the entire thing to me in no form. You should have just written cherish this. I would have I would have uh, been more because I opened it minutes after coming home from Toronto and I drove <laughs> home from Toronto. So it's kind of in a daze. And I was like, what is this? Um, but here I had a feeling that would be your mental state. It was great. Would, it was great. You would get home, kiss your child goodnight and then crack <laughs> open an envelope from me with a promotional Disney Plus button. Yep, uh, dated to November 12, 2021, of course. Yep. Disney this Plus. is yes. amazing. And this, this, I think that, you know, if we, th- if we feel like this movie loses magic and luster because of a lack of uh, physical tangibility, it's so lost in the digital realm. And I love that Jason created a moment of magic by using the, the physical mail. 
That's right. Using, going yes. back to something that they, you know, Shit. would have used to make Pinocchio in the 1940s, mailing out contracts and such. Should have mentioned this during the Stamps.com ad read. Fuck. Oh, awesome. I know. I know. Oh, I know. Would have been smart. Would have been smart. Thank you, Jason and Louis DeJoy. <laughs> now, <laughs> David, we're in a slightly weird position because yeah. uh, this movie obviously did not get a theatrical release. And the box office weekend for when it came out is literally just the weekend we're, we just experienced. It's the most it recent weekend. We're recording but, this on a quicker turnaround than most episodes. Well, because of, you know, that's how it goes. It's yes, a new release. Yes, but yes, here's the yes. thing. Yeah. I cha- all right, so I will. We're going to do the box office game for this yes. weekend because I challenge yeah. you to name the top five movies of the box office this weekend. It you might probably be tough. can, but we'll it's see. a little tough. And then yeah. I will, I will qu- quiz you on the most recent Nielsen data on streaming, which unfortunately is from mid August. This is my suggestion, but it basically takes a month to tabulate these things. So it'll take a month before we find out how many. Uh, they always do the weird tabulation of like 500 million hours of Pinocchio. We're watching. Right, right, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. They, they don't measure number of viewers. They measure number of hours. So movies are always at a disadvantage versus series because they'll be like, you know, 800 hours of Stranger Things were watched. And it's like right across four seasons now, whatever. Um, 20.6 okay. billion hours of viewing The Gray Man. Right. Look, Griffin, yeah, don't don't knock the, the metric that clearly also sells ads on this podcast. God damn it. Millions <laughs> oh, of, of hours of blank check have been of listened to of over okay. seven years or whatever. They anyway. Box office. Number one at the box office is Barbarian. Yeah, that's right. I want to see it. I'm going to see it tomorrow, maybe. I'm very uh, have, have any of you guys seen Barbarian? I haven't fit it in yet. Yeah, I've heard, heard very good things. I've heard good things. I've heard I'm not supposed to know anything about it. Yeah. Now, this is the only thing I want to say about it. It's, it's not about the movie. It's about that phenomenon, right? I yeah. find it very interesting. I saw successive days, uh, Monday, Tuesday, or whatever, Sunday, Monday of this week. Uh, I saw The Invitation, and I saw Barbarian. I complained in our last episode, David, that The Invitation trailer ruins every single plot beat of the movie, including what I guessed was going to be the last shot of the film. Uh, it uh, basically yes. is the last shot of the film, except there's like a end coda that was clearly shot three weeks before the movie came out. Okay. As some sort of studio note that doesn't really add anything to it. But that's a movie where they like didn't know how to market it outside of telling you every single thing that happens in the movie because that movie is a real slow burn where mm. if they had found any creative way to market it, it would be kind of fun watching it not knowing where it's going. Uh, right. I, I do think the movie kind of falls apart when it gets to its twists, but I think the slow burn of that movie is actually pretty fucking good. In contrast, Barbarian was like everyone assumed probably going to Hulu because it was like a Fox, you know, pick yep. up Disney. They're bumping all these films to Hulu. It screened very well at like Fantastic Fest, I think, some horror film yes. festivals. And they just went like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's put it in theaters. This seems to have good word of mouth. They really yep. only started advertising it like three weeks ago, and their entire advertising campaign was pretty much don't know anything about this movie. Find out as little as possible. Everything was as oblique as possible. All the messaging was don't even watch the trailer. Know nothing. It opened bigger than The Invitation. Now, it's like one of the worst box office weekends of the year. We're dealing with like a sort of depleted marketplace right now for theaters. But like, it opened a $10 million for a marketing campaign that was basically, we're not going to tell you anything. Don't even know the setup of this movie. 
Um, does it have a big realistic pile of shit in it? It does. That That is the big twist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. How scary is it? How scary if I was to go see this? It's fairly scary. It's one of those okay. horror films that I would argue is more upsetting than scary, if that makes sense. Sure. But especially the phenomenon of not knowing where it's going does add an incredible amount of unease because it's not a movie where you can really predict it. And so in all of its buildup, which it does take its time with, you're just sort of on edge by like, I have no idea what they're setting up here. I might stick to see how they run or confess Fletch. Uh, no, Fletch? How do you say it? Confess Fletch? Confess, yes. comma, Fletch. It's not yeah, Fletch, okay. no. Confess, it wouldn't be Fletch. Confess <laughs> Fletch seems like the tagline of the invitation from what I've seen of the trailer. Well, yeah, a little bit. Uh, yeah. David, number two at the box office? Um, number two is a new release. Uh, it is, I believe, an Indian film. Uh, oh, uh, you probably don't know the name of it. Uh, exactly, but you've probably heard of it. Uh, yes, yes, it's a Hindi language fantasy action adventure film called Brahmastra Part One Shiva, uh, which looks pretty cool. Am I wrong in thinking that Disney released this as well? Yes, you are correct. It was distributed by Walt Disney in America. So, in like, theaters. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, first weekend of September, Disney to, having the one and two know. movie for like very un Disney properties. Things that were considered niche. Selling tickets. Uh, so, yeah, Barbarian number one, uh, Brahmastra part one, number two, number three, Griffin. Top I Gun I still Maver? haven't ridden it. No, that's number four. Top Gun oh, Maver, Bullet Train. Which is now. Bullet Train is number three. I, I need to ride the train. It's, it's a perfectly entertaining movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is really uh, benefiting from the fact that so few things are getting yeah, released now where it just keeps on hanging on. It's inching to a hundo. Uh, and of course, Top Gun Maverick has made $700 million. And then number five is The Invitation, which you just mentioned. Uh, it's a pretty boring list. Uh, and that's what's out. Pinocchio, if Disney had put out Pinocchio, probably would have made an easy 40 mil, right? But whatever. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know. The, the, the first hour of Invitation, I was like, why isn't anyone talking about this movie being good? In the last right. half hour, I understood why no one talks about the movie. It's not disastrous, but it just sort of loses all momentum. But you do have to think that Pinocchio would have made some money you would have being done released fine. in theaters right yeah. now. I, look, I don't know. I don't get it. Me, I don't get it. But listen, the streaming list from August 14th, 2022. <laughs> yes. The number one show is, I want the top five, they're all Netflix. I'm just going to spoil okay. that for you right away. Okay. The number one is Netflix's big show of the summer, very expensive show based on a very Stra popular Stranger Things series. or Sandman? It's Stranger, it's Stranger Things is number three. Sandman is number one. So you'd think Netflix would be happy with that. I haven't heard about Sandman season two yet, but if it was no, it, number it, one. A, a perfect indication of our current entertainment industry dystopia is uh, Neil Gaiman will not stop tweeting please for people to watch Sandman and leave positive <laughs> reviews because they mm. still haven't gotten a season two pickup. And it's just like you have one of the most like beloved comic book series of all time. You have like one of the most famous living authors who is using his massive social media platform to still like grassroots advertise a giant budget production of a, a series on the most popular streaming service, or I guess maybe it just got supplanted by Disney Plus. It's no, it is the most popular. number one show in the globe. It has pretty much held on to that position for a month, and he's just like, they still won't give us a green light for season two. 
You're like, yeah, what really is the metric for success now? I don't know. I don't know. Isn't it uh, nice, fellow podcasters, that when you when there's a new episode of your podcast, we all get to say, hey, check out the new episode of the podcast, as opposed to if we're involved in a, a television project, it's like, please, please, dear God, for my future and my life and my family, please. It's really your well eyes. even, but they won't. They won't do it. <laughs> I made this joke to you guys recently. Uh, that uh, don't you feel grateful that we all got into podcasting at a good moment and have found some success with our shows so that that stable career can support our hobby of working in film and television? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's truly what it feels like. It's like... It is what it is. Yeah, it's what it is. It's it's what it is. Our plan are definitely... Carefully constructed and non-accidental plan worked. Right. Yeah. Right. And the now, the now, like, I need to get something going. Should I, I get a new reel or new headshots or make a short film? Now you're just sitting there, like, with a paper and pencil going, should I do another podcast? <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yep. yep. All right. Should I okay. triple down okay. on this? Okay. All right. All right, so number one, Salmon. Number three is Stranger Things. Number two is a film from February that debuted on Netflix. It, and it's still in there? It was, it's new on Netflix this week, and one billion oh, oh, people oh. watched it or whatever. Sorry, sorry. Okay, it was a theatrically released film that yeah. is now exploding on Netflix. It's from February. Can you tell me the genre? Action adventure. Uh, it was a hit. Huh. It's not The Lost City. Oh, it's Uncharted. No. It's Uncharted. I saw this. People Uncharted were like, four, please. Blowing up on Netflix. Not only did that movie surprisingly overperform in theaters, but people are Dude. hungry for it on Netflix I can as also, well. like, at TIFF, I was told by someone who knows what he's talking about that The Northman, which, of course, was sort of, you know, a slightly disappointing box office, right? It made, like, $30 million. Yeah. I was told that that thing was such a sensation on VOD that everyone is, like, basically, like, you know, ripping champagne bottles with with joy over the Northman. So you don't know how these things are going to play like later. It is this thing as studios are backing off on the idea of making expensive movies only for streaming, where it is like, if you just go through the motions of giving these things a proper theatrical release, whether it is a hit or a failure, it almost always makes the movie more desirable once it lands on the streaming service. It's true, right, yeah. It 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 just makes it feel legitimate. Like, Uncharted is running circles around Gray Man. Right. Uh, number four is a Netflix original film. Purple Hearts. Starring an Oscar-winning actor. No. Uh, I have not seen it. I think it's an action comedy. It's got sort of a supernatural element. Uh, you, if the, you don't know what this is, I'll tell you, but... Is the actor okay. Jamie Foxx? He sure is. Oh, it oh, is. And then I don't know what it is It's Day that. Shift. It's Day it's Shift. It's day from shift. one of the, like, John Wick uh, stunt protege guys. Um, and it's Jamie Foxx and Dave Franco hunting vampires. Um, that all sounds right. Uh, number... F- I have not seen it. Number five is... I have to look it up because I don't know what it is. Oh, okay. It's a romantic drama streaming series that has four seasons it's from the noble country that i just left canada oh boy (laughs) 
Great country, lovely Canadian people. romantic streaming drama, four a, seasons. A place where there was a heat wave in Toronto, and I was told this because the Canadians kept saying, oh, it's, it's 20 degrees all the time. And I looked that up, and it means 72 degrees. And that was the heat wave. Oh, uh, but no, this is set in a small town. Huh. Uh, it's Canadian. Who's know. in it? Avril Lavigne? <laughs> uh, look, right. You're not going to have heard of this. Yeah. Uh, it's called Virgin River. Yeah, absolutely not. Never heard of it. I mean, this is the shit I'm talking about where I'm just like, like Purple Hearts seems to have outperformed Gray Man, right? Yeah, no, Gray Man not on this list. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What's it's, doing uh, better, Purple uh, Hearts, later. Gray Man, or Red Notice? Right, which, right. And like, which color is dominant? Not an inexpensive movie, uh, but probably cost one-fifth, one-fourth of what Gray Man cost. Right. And then you're telling me that, like, Virgin Island is still in the top Virgin five. River, goddammit. <laughs> I couldn't even remember what it's called. <laughs> I'm going to give you the rest of the top ten, and then we should be done. Yeah. But uh, uh, you've also, from Netflix, you also have Lock and Key. You have yeah. the, the Cursed Child uh, you know, hypnotizer Coco Melon. Oh, of uh, course. which, which uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sure people I'm avoiding have heard of. putting in front of my avoid yeah. it, avoid it. Yes, I'm <laughs> avoiding it too. And you also straight up on Netflix, number eight, NCIS, just fucking NCIS. <laughs> is people watching that? Always. Is uh, Lightyear on it, the list? There are two Disney Plus properties. One okay. at number seven is Bluey, which is uh, the best kids' mm. TV show around and is wonderful and just dropped a third season. So that's probably why it's on the list. And then at number 10, in its first week of release, probably, is fucking Lightyear stinking up the joint. Still I mean, had not seven, a good 700 movie. million minutes viewed or whatever. But, but that's the yeah. thing. It's like, for Lightyear as one film to chart that high even, like it comes out the middle of August, right? Means that that thing is clearly doing much better on Disney Plus than it did in theaters. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know. It's a movie that actually feels designed for Disney Plus. But maybe, but Pinocchio, should, even with everything we've said, does it still kind of feel like Pinocchio should have been in the, I guess I, I'm, I remain confused by the Disney Plus. The movie. only things that seem like, I, I looked up AMC Showtimes like last night for, for early this week, and there's like hardly any, and it seems like the stuff that is keeping the lights on are Bollywood releases and yeah. Dragon Ball Z superhero. Yes, yeah. Like, the Dragon Ball movie quietly opening to over $20 million. I mean, this is another thing. It's like, you know, we're going through the every 18 months, everyone rethinks the entire entertainment industry and announces that they figured it out and that they've now perfected the model. But, like, that Disney Investor Day conference, the beginning of 2021, where they announced Lightyear's existence, and then in one fell swoop, a very clear thing that confused nobody... Um, but then in that same press conference, that live streamed hours long press conference, they announced Pinocchio, Peter Pan and Wendy, uh, Hocus Pocus 2 and Disenchanted are all going to Disney Plus. And it was this moment of just like, maybe the theaters don't come back. Maybe we got to put more things on Disney Plus. And the model is increasingly feeling a little uh, foolhardy. I don't know. I want someone to sit me down and tell me off the record how this all fucking works. But I just don't know why you wouldn't do the Encanto thing of just like, look, make your money That's for six weeks, make whatever free money you can make, and then put yes. it on your streaming service. Like, right. It basically but who cares. I don't know. It, it's also just like with DCPs and shit, you're not having to like strike up physical prints. 
And basically, they've compressed the release window enough that the thing they always used to complain about, which is like having to promote the movie twice, having to advertise it in theaters and then advertise it again six to eight months later when you put it on digital or DVD or whatever. It's like, no, you promote it once. You promote it once. You put it in theaters for like fucking six weeks and it's on your streaming service and you just do a new update on social media. Should we release this episode into theaters? We should. <laughs> we will. We Solidarity will. with that. the chains that we If care we about. talk to the manager at the local Burbank AMC, I feel like maybe we could get it done. We could probably. All of this having been said also, this is the first episode where I can acknowledge I'm the voice of Pip the Chipmunk and Disenchanted coming That's to Disney right. Plus Thanksgiving. This is the, first this is the employee Pip. right here. <laughs> For now, until they hear the rest of this episode. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I, look, every other announcement that happened at D23 I thought was great, and I have nothing mocking to say. <laughs> I oh, love my corporate uh-huh. Exciting Disney, stuff. And wish, I hope to be playing Pip coming. the Chipmunk for years to come. No, but I, I think that film's very fun, and I... Uh, I feel no regrets about not playing Jiminy Cricket in this film. Uh, as much as I was excited at the idea of playing the wisecracking animal sidekick in a Disney film, I feel like I got a better one. A new one, a different, with le- less, uh, the, like the shoes to fill weren't as, as weighty. And the, uh, you, what if Pip uh, showed up for a minute? What do you think Pip would say if he saw a wooden boy walking around? A, a jumping jelly sticks. <laughs> his famous catchphrase uh it, re- it registered with me i was hey. wow he's got a i like that jump, jump and jelly, and jelly sticks. sticks yeah you know it's a gift as an actor you see jump and jelly sticks on a page and it's truly a gift there's no way to mess that lineup uh jason scott mike so long overdue thank you for being here right, okay. uh, next, next time it won't be a piece of shit i promise uh, <laughs> okay i I can't promise that. Maybe it will be. But I was thinking it was so nice how to have you guys. It's uh, uh, you guys have both been great on the show. And if you, anyone who's listening who doesn't know our, our our show, it's about theme parks and rides that that we love. David was great on a couple of years ago. I, that's on nice it. of you to say. I'm no Griffin Newman when it comes to podcasts. The ride. I did my best with my. Well, he does. Show. Griffin does have this elevated title of accidental PTR legend uh, yeah. because a video uh, played at the wrong time at a, a chaotic live show, and thus we just gave you a title. And uh, now I'm gunning to be the first PTR legend to become a Disney legend in that order. Oh, you do have the fodder to potentially. Right. Wow, wow, wow. It's a long-term plan. Crossover. Yeah, yeah. 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 I got to fully, I got to go full gad, but I'm working on it. One's at least, one's probably like 10, 15 years off at minimum. Unless yes. Pip just like if Pip pops. <laughs> if Pip pops, we hope Pip pops. But it was, I was thinking, oh, it's funny that you've been on the show many times. And we've had you on to talk about some of the greatest rides that have ever some of the greatest accomplishments of of man terminator 2 3d and toy story mania Muppet vision 3d Muppet yeah. vision 3d yeah yeah some my of the, favorite giving you some of the best topics that exist in the world of our podcast and you had us on to talk about pinocchio 2020 now i just i want to address this for one moment i just want to address this for one moment we're ending this episode but it must be addressed okay we're very long overdue in having you guys on the show to the yes, point yeah, where a lot of listeners of both of our shows were going like, what the fuck is the deal here? They've had Griffin <laughs> well, on so many times. They're clearly friends with him. Even David's been on Podcast The Ride at this point. Why hasn't it happened? In our dumb, overly organized sort of like spreadsheet mind, for so long we were like, we should save them for when we do Gore Verbinski because getting them on Pirates, either one for each of the trilogy or all three together, one felt like, oh, that's like a perfect one. 
for many reasons, we probably are not going to do the Pirates of the Caribbean movies anytime. <laughs> Indeed. Anytime no. in the first single no, future. No, it's not happening. It's not happening. So, People should kind of accept that, I think. Absolutely. It's sad, but true. So then well, the but you're going to do Lone Ranger, right? Well, that's not <laughs> oh, obviously. You gotta, do that as a one-off. You gotta. You gotta. It, it's going to be a Ben's choice. But, but uh, I threw out to you guys at the beginning of this year, I said, promise, I'm getting you on before the end of the year. And I like, outlined a couple different options to you guys at Margaritaville in Times Square. Mm. Oh, yes. It was, yeah, earlier this with year. Mark to handle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I said, like, here are options. You guys can split up and pick individual movies you want across, like, the miniseries we have planned, right? Or all three of you on Avatar 2, all three of you on Pinocchio. And so and we we did land. At, that's all like, I want to say. Avatar was potential. No, you're absolutely right. And I don't want to make it sound like I forced you guys to take the shit stick. It was like you guys have talked a lot. You, Scott, in particular, about how creepy you find Pinocchio as a concept, as a character. It felt like a way to comment on like the state of Disney movies. Uh, of course, both of you being daddies now. Jason's aforementioned status as a wooden boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. We will have you on again, uh, either together or separately or whatever form, and hopefully you get a better movie next time. We we, we also felt like, I, I at least I felt like, the mantle of Avatar 2, of blank check Avatar 2. That I mean, I you guys probably feel it. Are you wondering, are, are you thinking you maybe shouldn't uh, even, even attempt? The, the, your own bar. I, I want to psych you out for how, uh, you should be stressed about covering Avatar 2. Well, a big I keep one. on seeing people saying, it's been five years since the Blank Check Avatar episode. No one even remembers it anymore. It was a big hit <laughs> at the time, but that episode has been totally forgotten. No one wants to hear an episode on Avatar 2. That episode's going to bomb. Who even remembers yeah. the names of these hosts? <laughs> no one remembers them. Does that, can you even produce the name Griffin Newman? Like, nobody, nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. look it up. Nobody now knows that, that. That episode just released in China and, and became a hit it all was over huge. again. This is know? my argument. Huge. I think when people see what we have cooked up for that episode, I think they forget how much it was an experience at you know the original episode, the episode. launch, and I think it's going to be replicated again with this one. People cried after that one, and they wanted to go back to the episode. Yeah, people like wanted to live there forever. They wanted to live in the episode. And there was there was concern there would be too much of our nonsense if we did Avatar. Just every five minutes, Sivako, this podcast is a fe- fortress. You know. Mighty Akron, copyright Mighty by Carlson. <laughs> yeah. Um, everyone should listen to Podcast The Ride, uh, my favorite podcast. Uh, I, 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 we're only friends because I was such a big fan of your guys' show and I harangued you into uh, having me on. And then, and then over years, we've become actual uh, friends. Um, uh, but yeah, yes. I'm so happy about that, and then and beyond the friendship too, because this was a, a great example of like, wow, he was so Griffin was so great on the show. I should check out what he does. What is this blank check about? And oh my god, guys, I love the show. I'm so thrilled to have who have been on the show. What a wonderful uh, a gift, even just being a fan and then getting to be on it, and uh, and all the hanging out. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and and if you're uh, looking to try podcast the rise, we said uh, you, episodes Dave and I have been on can be entry points, but also. As, as you mentioned before, if you feel like I'm not a theme park person, this show feels, uh, you know, uh, unexplainable un, uh, to me. Uh, you guys do just end up going into a lot of corners of pop culture marginalia that I think our listeners are the types yeah. to be interested in yeah. as well. It became clear pretty early on with the podcast that like theme parky vibes like have permeated a lot of other pop culture and like a lot of other stuff we like, you know, is copacetic. Like movies, the crime dogs, movies, movies. according yeah. to Martin Scorsese. 
Yes. <laughs> McGruff the yeah. Crime Dogs uh, uh, albums. Music career. Yeah. Right. Uh, the Ninja Trolls coming out of your shell tour, things like that. The Room um, Cafe. Yes. Everyone should listen and, and sign up for uh, The Second Gate and, and Club 3. Oh, hey. Oh, the Club hey, 3 shout. You. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, uh, and, uh, and Google the phrase Mighty Akron. Google image it. And you will learn that that is an Avatar-related phrase that Mike Carlson is 100% responsible for. If they say it in the movie. Oh, man. Oh, man. I know. I said this. I've said this before already that this is not, yeah, this is me, not them. (laughs) Um, Next week, tune in for The Woman King. Yeah, which is good. The new Gina movie, which you like a lot. I thought it was I mean, I imagine I will love it. I love her movies. Uh, I feel like the critics I usually agree with, including yourself, uh, think it rips. Uh, I'm excited to see it. Uh, probably tomorrow night I will go see it. Yeah. Uh, at the time we're recording this. Tune in for that next week, and then week after that, we're back on the Kubrick train with Dr. Strangelove. Thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media. Pat Reynolds, Joe Bowen for our artwork. Lee Montgomery and the Great American All for our theme song. Uh, we always thank AJ McKee and Alex Barron for our editing. But today, I also just want to shout out that AJ has uh, ably jumped in to produce this episode because Ben was out of town this week, and AJ has just been silently and respectfully uh, keeping the train running this whole time, sending me uh, ad copy. Um, nice job, AJ. So yeah, double thank you to AJ. This week, you can go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features. We do all sorts of bonus stuff, including the aforementioned Confess Fletch this month. We will be that talking about. You sure that's how you say it? Confess yeah. to the flesh. <laughs> Confess flesh sounds like a, a, a Hellraiser sequel subtitle. <laughs> Candy cool man. Title. That's Candy that's man. It's farewell that's to the farewell flesh. That's farewell to the flesh. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, we're doing that. We're doing Roger Moore Bond movies. You can go blank check pod for links to all sorts of other nerdy shit. And as always, holy smoke, yo. Yeah.